of the horrible things in store for you. And after your weird experiences, I will return to lead you out of the darkness of death back to life. disaster like eating a burrito before sex welcome to another exciting episode of thsp have we got another awesome episode lined up for you today as we continue down the rabbit hole of ray dennis steckler aptly called that ray dennis steckler retrospective part two plus a brand new kids corner with nate where we discuss the new film megan from 2022 which can be found streaming on the cock or peacock network all this and a few surprises as well for you our dear listeners so how are you doing tonight big dog i'm doing pretty well i'm just um i was actually prepping for this show a little bit past couple days no. ago. yeah well no no not not last minute just like some just some additions and whatnot but 20 uh, seconds ago <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah okay fine 20 seconds ago but no not much going on with me just the same old stuff and um and also trying to come up with some more show ideas but uh, as as tim and i were discussing before um the recording he's got some ideas too so that we probably about an hour a, off air <laughs> yeah yeah so it probably takes a little bit of a load off me so i can tim can probably now start coming up with some stuff but you said load. Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> Anyways, but uh, yeah, not much going on with me. Just the same old stuff. And it looks like I, I try to remember though. Is 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 spring starting this year, this month, or oh, is it- shut the hell up, you Chicagoan. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it was. We were supposed to get like this, like last, like last week. We were supposed to get this big snowstorm. And, and what'd you get? Friday, what'd you we get? Got, we got nothing. Just yeah, a little, a little bit of rain, and then the next Lose day, out. yeah, and then the next day it was nice and sunny, and it was. <laughs> oh, you Chicagoan! Uh, yeah, up here we got I don't know three to seven inches. Uh, I, I I came back to Chicago Chicago briefly for a spring break, uh, and uh, I I was. Uh, surprised by your seattle like weather <laughs> <laughs> hey i was surprised too i'm like we should be getting snow around this time <laughs> right. so yeah I, I was there for a few days and uh hooked up in that and obviously i wish we could have been there it didn't work out and it wasn't in the cards this time around but hopefully next year when i come back we you'll you'll be there yeah uh, i i i but i was gonna ask though so yeah. how uh how did uh, you and uh mark and dave and ken uh, uh how did that reunion go? It was a lot of fun. We 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 uh, had some sandwiches. We drank some beer. We played a lot of video games. Um, uh, as you know, Dave has basically a 1980s 90s arcade in his basement, which is awesome. He's got he had uh, 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 golden tea. He had 
Um, I don't think uh, the only game I don't think he had was Frogger. He had like freaking I don't know like twelve different machines. He had the Ninja Turtles. He had Mortal Kombat from back in the day. He had. How did he get all those, man? God. Did he, did he collect those over the years? Like, are you talking about like the, the actual oh. consoles, the yeah. big? Yeah, yeah, the the the, the big actual. The you, big know, you, you actually had to put like a quarter in or a token in. Yeah, he he got like. Was he charging you for this? <laughs> no, no, no. It was all free play. <laughs> You had to put but, like the metallic slugs in there to try to get. No, it, it was all it was all just press start. Uh, but no, it, it, it was super cool. But I, I want to say he had a. I was counting the machines. He had about I want to say ten or eleven different machines. Holy shit! He's got to have like a big basement to hold that. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, just. I've added, never been to his house, so I can't yeah, really say. It was. It was apparently just enough. <laughs> um, and he wanted to. And he wanted to get NFL blitz. He got uh, this basketball game, which I promptly beat our. our or my our my our beloved friend dear uh, Mark L. Risman. I, I I beat him really good. <laughs> I'm sure he did. I'm sure he didn't forgive you for yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, and, and then but but then we, we then we played another console where we were uh, I think Ninja Turtles together. And we we won that game. Um, so uh, it, it was it was it was a quite a fun evening. Um, obviously we had to cut the, the evening short uh, just because we had a a Disney driver. Uh, Ken, <laughs> yeah, our, our buddy Ken, and uh, he he was great. He he went out of his way to um, make sure uh, Mark and I got to and from Dave's place without having to call an Uber. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I and, and next year, please put on your calendar, knock it off, so you can take. The yeah, off. yeah, I I know. I I thought it was gonna be something I can. I, yeah. I, I, it it just got all mixed up. Yeah, I, that, I, that, I do apologize. Okay. I, I was hoping I could at least come that's by okay. later after work and say hello, but I didn't realize yeah. how half in the bag you guys were going to be. <laughs> uh, I was not. <laughs> I cannot, was I, I, uh, no, actually, Mark and I were pretty good. I cannot speak for Dave. Yeah. I can <laughs> speak for Dave. And, and again, Ken was our, our, de- our Dave dean. lived in his own house, so he didn't have to go anywhere. <laughs> that is very true. You do not have a. You don't have to have the designated driver when you live upstairs. <laughs> um, I still want to. I still want to know how he was able to to buy all those video game things. I mean, I've well, been... you know, that is a very good question to save for our our, our Thanksgiving episode. Though. Oh, I will. I will ask. You that. save all those wonderful shit up, and we'll just nail them <laughs> in November <laughs> or October, whenever we record but, the episode. But anyways, yeah. So you guys. So Ken was your designated driver. Yes. So I mean, did you guys behave while you were sitting in the back? seat while ken had to had to deal with your rowdiness and I, I i well i can say we we i was very proud of myself and very proud of mark we did not get trashed once over the weekend maybe a little bummed. wow that's, that's I was, very surprising I, I, <laughs> yeah i know i was expecting to get hammered that, as fuck <laughs> is that is that the res- being the responsible adults that you are or is you that know, just because, I, I, honestly, is that, or is that because the age is setting in because yeah. I, I i'm not let me tell you. You're just I'm, saying we're fucking old, dude. Just just say it. It's fine. We're old. You, man, I'm thirty I'm thirty-eight and I can't do the things that I used to do. All right. <laughs> well here, here's the thing. It's I'm, I'm not bu- married and I don't have right. kids. But well you're you're when's your birthday, uh Chris? April uh, April sixth, yeah. Okay. 30, I'm April twelfth. Okay. So 
I'll, I will be 45 this coming April. You will oh, be 39. Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing. With age comes wisdom. However, <laughs> uh, however, uh, I, I will say this. I will say that um, I think it had to deal with, uh, yeah, not being with a party like we probably could. And basically because we want to do other stuff the next day <laughs> and not be completely, like, trashed. Um, but I, I will say we... It was a fun time, and I would do it again. Uh, we went to a different couple of different places. There's a great place uh, in Lincoln Hills called Emmett's, which is a brewery and restaurant, which was fantastic. Uh, they have some really great sandwiches and some really delicious beer out there. So if you're like, if you're listening to this and you're Lake in Lincoln Hills, Illinois, or Huntley, check out Emmett's. It's uh, a great, great brewery. Um, also, we went to this arcade place, which I honestly, I, I wish I could remember the name of it, but it was a lot of fun. Um, Mark and myself and um, his girls, we had a blast there. Uh, a lot of fun. We spent, I want to say maybe three hours there. Great times. Uh, all in, uh, I went up to say Lake in the Hills. Um, so uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun time for spring break. Other than that, Chris, what have you been doing? Uh, uh, anything new and exciting? Uh, no. <laughs> it no. sounds like you uh, had the most, so, so, all had right. the most exciting. <laughs> so back to me. All right. Fine. <laughs> fine. All right. So, all right. So for purposes of the recording, um, t- today is uh, March 11th, 2023, Saturday. Last night, I was, I was the uh, coach for my son's flag football team, which was the Chicago Bears for the uh, for our, our division or our flag football division and we ended up winning our first game of the season uh last night and Nate threw two touchdown passes to his buddy Caden and we had a great time uh, all the kids played wonderfully uh on defense and offense uh, everyone did wonderful i can't stress this amount, uh, enough if your kids are interested in flag uh, interested in football please get them out there and within at least five on five flag football, look at your local um, village or your local city and see what they have available because it's such a fun time. All the kids have a blast and it gets them in the uh, mindset of a, a team atmosphere starting at, I think I want to say either kindergarten or first grade, depending on where you're at. Um, but it's a great time. I, this is my, I want to say fifth year coaching and it's a lot of fun. That is fantastic. Then on my for my daughter, she's over uh, doing her thing at gymnastics uh, over at Flips Gymnastics, which is in White Bear. So if you're in White Bear, Minnesota, check out Flips Gymnastics. Um, and she just did she just uh, completed a, a set called her squat on, which is where the uh, gy- uh, on a high bars, which is basically where a gymnastics or a gym, gymnast, I should say, not gymnast, gymnast, t- flips around on a bar and then was able to put their feet and end up like in a squatting position like a turtle or something on top of the bar and then jump off the bar. So she's she's done fantastic there. She's growing quickly. I can't be more proud of both of my kids. Uh, and this was just from the stem of last night and over the spring break. I'm like, I can't believe how fast they're growing and getting faster and stronger. Since the beginning of our podcast, Nate, I mean, Nate, uh, Chris, since the beginning of our podcast, like, this is our ninth season. I'm like, it's oh crazy. God. <laughs> I mean, my son was, Nate was in kindergarten. And Gabby wasn't even walking yet. <laughs> and now you I've know, got a, I've got a football player, baseball player, and I've got a gymnast and dancer. I'm like, I, I, it boggles my mind. <laughs> well, I mean, 
wait until they get uh, old enough where they can work, and then you can just send them oh. out there and say, okay. <laughs> Actually, it's funny you said that. Because, oh, boy. <laughs> because oh, it's, it's called volunteering, but they do get paid a little bit. It's a, it's a small stipend. But um, we here right now we're on spring. We're in the middle of spring, the end of spring break, I should say. We're going to be back to school on Tuesday, the whatever the hell it is. Uh, we're on the we're recording this on the eleventh, so we'll be going back to to work in school on that to, on this following Tuesday. Anyway, um, the my uh, kids in our area can volunteer and make up to and then basically what they do is they look for flag football. They look at the um, schedule and they uh, they blow a horn every once in a while to signal the start of a game, halftime, and the end of a game, and the beginning of a game. Um, and my son has actually started doing that last week and he worked a couple hours. So he made like 40 bucks and he's, or any, so he makes about 10 bucks an hour. Whoever volunteers makes about 10 bucks an hour for the, uh, the, uh, on a Friday night. So I'm like, he's already started making money. So he's already started working earlier than you or I have. <laughs> you should tell <laughs> At him. At age 11. <laughs> Dude, you should tell him to take some of that money and put it in something that you can invest in because yeah. just it sounds silly at first but just tell them listen listen kid uh -huh. when you reach like 30 like 30 uh -huh. and you see how much it's grown you can then do whatever you want with the money yeah <laughs> you I, know, I, or, I, or something you know? yeah I, I i say save it I, I told him hey buy only really what you want however i think he's gonna be blowing that money on uh comic books and video games just like we yeah, would have yeah, <laughs> yeah of course yeah um but with that uh christopher do you have anything else you'd like to add no man i i i mean i wish my life was as exciting as everybody else's but <laughs> oh dude <laughs> i was so exhausted last night running back and forth i did it about six times i i woke up i i, I crashed at like 10 30 last night and i could not move my body to get up to take the dogs out to go to the for them to go to the bathroom. I, I really had to struggle <laughs> for them to get out. Uh, and I was exhausted. Uh, I'm still exhausted. Right now, I'm on about four cups of coffee. So let's start this show so we can <laughs> end the show before I crash. <laughs> so um, before we dive into the meat and potatoes of this handcrafted, one-of-a-kind podcast episode, let's, over, let's head over to our Kids Corner segment and check in with Nate. We'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Nate, and welcome to Kids Corner with my dad, Tim. Hey, that's me! Uh, Kids Corner will cover family-friendly films and TV shows. And maybe not-so-family-friendly movies. <laughs> so, listen in! Katie, you lost your parents. Welcome home. You're my niece. I'm going to do everything I can to make this place feel like home. I just wish I could see them again. I'm not equipped to handle this. I don't even take care of my own plants. I have this project at work. Do you want to see? Yes. Ever since I was little, I dreamed of this perfect toy that would protect a kid from ever feeling lonely or sad. This is Megan. Hi, Megan. I'm Katie. It's nice to meet you, Katie. Do you want to hang out? Okay. 
Megan, your goal is to protect Katie from harm, both physical and emotional. Is that a doll? Model 3 generative android. Megan, for short. I can't believe you made this. I love it. Wanna hang out, yeah, sounds like fun. Great job. It's nice to have a friend. It's honestly like she's part of the family now. They could be building emotional connections that are too hard to untangle. She's the happiest she's been since her parents died. Eat the toppings, Katie. Research shows if you force a child to eat vegetables, they'll be less likely to choose those foods as adults. Is that so? Yes. Experts say... Megan, turn off. I thought we were having a conversation. Does she talk? Make her say something. Stop! Don't! Megan! You should probably run. Megan, she pushed Brandon onto the road. I won't let anything harm you. Megan, turn off. Recalibrating response model. <laughs> Megan! What's wrong with you? Don't worry, Katie. I won't let anything harm you. Ever again. It's nice to have Yes, your channels. I'm hitting record right now on our recording. All right. So my first one is, I have two channels. So my first one is called Slimo Girl Oreo. And my second one is called Fizzo Slime Fizz. Oh, wonderful. Okay, so check those out uh, if you feel so inclined. Okay, so, uh, Nate, what uh, film will we be reviewing today? Megan, a 2022 American science horror film. All right. That can be currently be found streaming on the Peacock Network. So, Nate, why don't you give us a brief rundown of the synopsis provided by the great people over All right. Wikipedia? All right. Megan is a 2022 American science fiction horror film directed by Gerald... Johnstone, written by Miss Cooper from a story by Cooper and James Wan, who also produced well, Jason Blum or Bloom. Bloom Jason so, Blum, yeah, that's okay. Starring Allison Williams and Violet McGaw, with Amy Donald physically portraying Megan and Jenna Davis voicing the character. Its plot follows an artificial intelligent doll who develops self-awareness and becomes hostile towards anyone who comes between her and her human companion. Creepy! Megan premiered in Los Angeles on December 7th, 2022, and was theatrical released in the United States on January 6th, 2023 by Universal Pictures. The film was a commercial and critical success, grossing over $173 million worldwide against a budget of 12 million receiving and receiving praise from credits for its campy blend of horror and humor theatrical um, theatrical elements and performances a sequel titled megan 2.0 is scheduled to be released on january 17 2025 with williams and mcgraw reprising their roles as cooper returning to write the script John Stone is also taking a return as the director. 
All right, wonderful. Thank you, Nate. So, all right. So, Gabby, uh, since you are the uh, guest, yep. Nate, uh, we'll, we'll throw her the questions first, yeah. and then we'll throw you the questions, yeah, okay. okay? I'll throw you the questions. So, Gabby, what were your top three favorite moments of Megan? Um, I, I kind of, like, it's kind of, like, it's fun and interesting at the same time where... Um, the boy is, like, hurting Katie, and so Megan comes up and starts chasing him. Oh, through the woods? Yeah. Yes. And okay. she, like, crawls like a spider, and it's pretty weird. <laughs> but really creepy. it's, and she's like, you should probably run. And that's one of my favorite parts that she said. Um, before she ripped his ears off. Oh, <laughs> or an ear, I don't, yeah, it's one definitely ear. one ear, and possibly yeah. two. Okay, and uh, you got two more? Or is that just... Um, well, I also like that one where she says, it's insane, right? <laughs> <laughs> or where they're sitting around the breakfast table, um, talking about the coasters or yeah. the, the condensation, yes. And then my last part is probably when she was drawing, and uh, Katie couldn't see it, so she um, spilled, water. spilled the water on the paper, mm -hmm. and it showed a perfect picture of her. Oh, awesome. Great. Thank you, Gabby. All right. Oh, so Gabby, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being super scary and 1 being not scary, what would you give this rating? As a scare as a, a scare fact. A 6. A 6. Okay. Fair. That's that's right and smack dab almost yeah. a little over half. Yep. Um great. Okay. Would you recommend this to a friend of yours in third grade? I don't know. I mean, would you think it would be too scary for some of your friends? Some people, but most of the people are like pretty brave in my class. So like, you think they, okay. they would probably like not like the killing part into it. <laughs> okay. So, um, I know definitely some boys in my class because they like are crazy. <laughs> and so. Okay. Let's hope we don't see this video. Okay, well, we said no names, no names, yeah, no, names no names, no names. Okay, <clears throat> so Nate, same questions. All right, what were your top three favorite moments? Um, Probably when the bully kid got hit with the car. Okay, following right off the other thing where she's yeah. chasing him through the woods. Okay. Um. All right, what are your other two favorite moments? Um, when Megan came out of the elevator with the two dead bodies surrounding her, with the pe crowd of people trying to act excited, and then she just walks down and goes into the car and oh, and then okay, all right. Uh, that was after the the launch party for uh, Megan mm -hmm. uh, in the film, and she takes uh, a was it a paper cutter, a paper cutter, yeah, and she uses and she breaks off and uses it as a machete as she uh, goes on a. Little mini killing rampage <laughs> through the through the halls of uh, this company. <laughs> but the stupid thing is, he killed the um like the the like the head of the office. She, you mean she killed or the she doll killed? killed the, the doll, doll killed. Mm -hmm. But it? she used a paper shredder and stabbed it like this. Paper shredders don't work like that. It's a paper cutter, not a shredder. But yeah, it's I, I get it. It's well, yeah, it's a movie, so there are going to be some elements that are um you yeah. know. You have to suspend your disbelief, yeah. as they say. Um, all right, so that was two. What's your third? Um, probably when the they had the final fight scene in, in the house where uh, Katie, I think her name was, what uh, took the power gloves to what's his name? 
Bruce, I think. Bru yeah, Bruce. Oh. And then just started bashing her head in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, all right. Same and final question uh, that I gave uh, our special guest here. What, on a scale of 1 to 10, again, 10 being the scariest, 1 being not scary, what would be your rating? Probably like a 5. A 5, okay. And would you recommend this to a buddy in your class? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, speaking as, as a parent, as an adult watching this film, um, there are, especially the director's cut or the unrated version that is currently streaming on the Peacock Network, It is. there are some gruesome scenes. They're short. It's still PG-13, so um, tread carefully with the little ones. Um, it might be too scary for them, um, but... There were overall creep. There was an overall creepness factor that I really enjoyed, uh, and I had a lot of fun with it. Probably more fun than I should have. Uh, I thought I, I enjoyed myself. I thought it was a really good time for the um, hour and thirty minutes or yeah. forty-five minutes that it ran. Uh, so yeah, uh, I give it a thumbs up. Gabby, you give it a thumbs up. Yep. Yeah, I also have another thing that you guys should maybe try out if you have Roblox. Oh. So there's this game on Roblox that's called Megan Story, and it basically you are just like your normal avatar, you know, and you can go through how Megan happened. Oh, yeah, okay. but but when they in the game when they killed the bully, it wasn't accurate to the movie, and the game is supposed to be based off the movie. Well, yeah, because like it's Roblox, oh, yeah. but you should probably check out that game. It's really fun. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Gabby, for that little uh, uh, insight into more Megan information. Okay. So with that, with that being said, uh, like I said, be be wary of the little ones. Um, I I enjoyed it. I give it a thumbs up. Gabby gives it a thumbs up. Right. Say yes. yes. All right. And Nate, thumbs up. So three thumbs up. Um, and with that, that's the end of the Kids Corner segment for uh, this month. Nate, do you have anything you think you'd like to say before we bounce out of here for the month of March? No. No. Okay. So stay tuned to uh, our, our, our social media uh, feeds for updates on um, upcoming episodes and everything like that. Yep. So, all right. Have a great one, guys. Right. Bye. 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 Okay, Christopher, take it away, big stud. All right. Well, <clears throat> despite the non-success of Rat Fink Boo Boo, uh, Ray Dennis Deckler once again decided to go against the grain for his next outing, which would be three short films presented as one feature titled The Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monsters. Yes, growing up as a young lad in Pennsylvania, Steckler went to see movies a lot, and he became very familiar with a series of films called The East Side Kids, which would later be renamed The Bowery Boys in the later entries. This series featured Leo Gorsi playing the ringleader of a local gang, and Hunts Hall played the goofy foil. At some point, Steckler was told that he looked a lot like Hunts Hall, and that set the wheels in motion for a series of films that Ray dubbed Lemon Grove Kids, which came, the name came from the street name Lemon Grove Avenue, where Steckler's family lived at the time. It was basically a homage to the Eastside Kids and Bowery Boys, but a little more kid-friendly, a lot more goofy, and shot in vibrant Eastman color. 
And Steckler had little trouble finding his Leo Gorsi lookalike as actor friend Mike Cannon from Rat Finka Boo Boo saved the role nicely. The first film in this series was originally shot in 1967 as The Great Race, and Steckler managed to film about two hours worth of footage. However, he couldn't get the film to an acceptable feature length, so his idea was to cut it down to a short film under the title Lemon Grove Kids and present it with the intention of raising money to do it again as a proper full-length feature. But that plan fizzled out, and Steckler went back to the drawing board again. This time, Ray was approached by a gentleman who happened to have a flying saucer prop capable of of fitting a person inside and and wanted to sell it to the filmmaker for the princely sum of $20. Steckler bought it and proceeded to make the second short, The Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Green Grasshopper and the Vampire Lady from Outer Space, a combination of kitty flick and off-the-wall sci-fi horror. Then came the third short, Lemon Grove Kids Go Hollywood, featuring Ray and his two cute little daughters, Linda and Laura, helping a fading Hollywood starlet after she's held hostage by two dopes eager to make a quick buck. With these three short films, Ray tried to sell them to television, but he had no luck there. Eventually... He hooked up once again with distributor Joe Karsten. Steckler released all three films together as the Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monsters for the Kitty Matinee Circuit, and they played for many years. Oh, and yes, this movie also promised you'll see live movie monsters emerge out of the screen in person. The world's craziest fun and fright show, The Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monsters. It's so scary, so crazy, we dare you to see it. We dare you to see The Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monsters. The screen's funniest and wildest teenagers in the craziest fun and fright show you've ever seen. Weird and frightening movie monsters, not only in the screen, but in the audience, alive and in person. See the horrifying mad mummy come to life and go into the audience to get you. We warn you, don't come if you're chicken. This show is not for sissies. If you're not afraid, be sure to see the world's craziest fun and fright show, The Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monsters. A thousand and one laughs, thrills, and chills. Widescreen and Eastman Color. Part 1 The Lemon Grove Kids. This short introduces the ringleader Slug, played by Mike Cannon, and his slapstick sidekick Gopher, played by Ray Dennis Steckler, under his screen name Cash Flag. Their friend Larry, played by Larry Pearson, has a crush on Roxy, played by Roxanne, who is Slug's sister. But Roxy is currently dating Duke Maserati, played by Bart Carcel, a local hoodlum who works for old-timer Big Ed Narzak, played by Coleman Francis. But when Slug's gang gets into a skirmish with Killer Crump, played by Herb Robbins and his band of ne'er-do-wells, the local cop Clancy, played by George J. Morgan, suggests the two gangs engage in a race to settle their personal beefs, as opposed to beating the living shit out of each other. And... Since Slug has the athletic Larry on his team, the Lemon Grove kids have this race in the bag. 
or do they? Duke Maserati suggests... They do not. <laughs> they do not. Not quite. Duke Maserati suggests to Big Ed to bet some serious money on Killer Crump's team. And to make sure that Crump's side will win, Duke calls upon the services of a nutty beret-wearing Frenchman known, at, known within the inner circles as the Saboteur, played by Ed McWaters, to sabotage any chances of Slug's team from winning. Oh, and none other than superhero Ratfink and Kogar the Gorilla show up for fun as well. So that's the first episode of of the Lemon Grove Kids. And it, you know, real quick, though, it's interesting. This movie is called Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monsters, but truthfully, it's the second film that we'll be talking about later that actually has, has monsters. Monster, has, has monsters in it. Well, Kogar the Gorilla appears in, in, in the first one. Oh, and there's a mummy. But we'll get to that in a moment. But, anyways. So this is like the intro, basically, of the concept of the Lemon Grove Kids. It's basically, as Tim told me, it's basically a bunch of adults playing silly 12-year-olds. Right. <laughs> which, which, which kind of threw me a little bit. Uh, I, I would prefer uh, uh, my thing on the on the Lemon Grove Kids is that the they were it's taken off, basically, you said the East Side Boys, right? Or yeah, the East Side Kids are yeah the East, the East Side Kids and the the Bowery Boys, right? The Bowery Boys, and I and I was thinking more like along the lines of like uh, the, the Little Rascals and that, and I'm like, it would have made much more sense to have ten or eleven year olds playing the same characters. I mean, I, I didn't I have a problem with the characters, just make them ten, twelve. 10 or 12. <laughs> well, you know, the Three Stooges had no problem showing Mo, Larry, and Curly, and Shimp from, That's the 30s, different. from, from their youth in the 30s to when they were, were older in the 50s and still, yeah. and still bashing each other over the head with accents. Right. right. <laughs> I, you know, so I got to be honest about this. I, what, I, what I like about the Lemon Grove Kids Beat the Monsters is that this is, I think, like the perfect example of Ray once again just cutting loose and saying, you know what? Fuck it. I'm making a silly little movie that's going to be aimed towards, you know, kids. Right. It's not really a serious movie whatsoever. And I'm just going to have fun with the camera and it's going to be me and my actor buddies and my friends goofing off and fucking around and just not not being serious whatsoever. And <laughs> Ray is actually very funny. <laughs> oh, I mean, like he's as the, the, cause as the goof in this movie, gopher is his name <laughs> right. because he's, he's, he's almost like this weird lovable scamp. He just wants to try to do everything right. Yes. He never can. <laughs> and then he's got his ringleader boss slug play, played by Mike Cannon. Who's like, constantly like whacking them over the head with his hat or something <laughs> like that. Right. But but yeah, this this is basically the setup. It's 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 um I guess what you would call the situational movie mm-hmm. where these two gangs, the Lemon Grove Kids and Killer Crump's gang played by Herb Robbins, who if you notice, he's smoking a cigar of the plastic is still on it every time. <laughs> <laughs> so they're 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 just engaged in like silly gang shenanigans. Yeah, to tomfoolery. Tomfoolery, and I, and I love it too. The during the fight scene, if you remember, mm-hmm. they're fighting under the bridge. They use these over the top sound effects, like one guy gets thrown over into a bunch of bushes, and it sounds like you know garbage cans being emptied out, and like uh, someone throws like a dirt 
like a clump of dirt at somebody and it lands against a wall and it makes like a gunshot noise. It's like it's very like ridiculous sound effects. And, it's, like, it's, it's, it's a lot like the old 60s Batman TV series. Almost, almost. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, but then again, like I said, Three Stooges style over the top sound effects, you know, <laughs> and um, but they're getting in this skirmish and the cop Clancy played by the lovable George J. Morgan, Ray's uh, producer buddy. <laughs> You guys fighting down here? Actually, he, he sounds more like down home Irish dude because his name is his name is Clancy, and he's he, I love it too. For a cop, he's actually very, 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 very nice in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> he's like he tells him, "Well, you guys shouldn't be fighting. You guys should be friends." And there's only one way you're going to have to settle this. And one of them's like, well, "What do you got in mind?" And he's like, "Well." Why don't you do a, why don't you do a race and see whoever wins is the better team? <laughs> you know? yeah. And it's just so silly and goofy. You can't help but like right. chuckle over it. And then in the meantime, the other character, Duke Maserati, who's like the the one character is up to no good. He's um, he's got this idea that he can go to his boss, Big Ed, played by Coleman Francis, that you know if you put more money on on Killer Crump's team, I can make sure that you're going to win and then, and i love it too when he tells them i got the saboteur working for me <laughs> and everybody everybody's eyes just light up and they're like you got the saboteur working for you and i love how they did this he goes i got the saboteur working for me he can fix anything and then yeah. <laughs> francis character says if anybody's got the saboteur working for him he can fix anything <laughs> and, you know we, we're so, in <laughs> yeah and and the saboteur as i mentioned is this Talk about weird. He's got the he's this like sunglass wearing, goatee wearing, beret wearing. He was wearing pink pajamas and gardening gloves. <laughs> and, and the only thing he can say is "sacre blue." <laughs> and it was just so ridiculous. Because it's probably the only French phrase he knows. <laughs> right, right. But I love it how ridiculous it is. I mean, like the like did you notice like when like one of the checkpoints is like on a beach and the the phone is on a on a table and it's the the, the phone line is like in the right. same right and they <laughs> and, cut it or something and like yeah he, he pulls it out and of course the, the dude on the phone doesn't even notice him right. lying there and then the, it's like and i love it too they say the frenchman can can fix anything but he keeps fucking up constantly yeah it's just, it's like so weird. There's like a moment where he's hiding behind this um, like beach umbrella, and he's gonna try to like knock one of the characters out, and it turns out it, it's one of Killer Crump's team members. Yeah, and, and they run away, and then suddenly one of his assistants, which is like this cute woman, comes out from behind there and says, "That's the wrong man," and just starts beating the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> it was so ridiculous. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but. Um, no, the one part that actually was like really over the top was um, remember that part where they were in the desert where they were trying to make the next checkpoint in the desert <laughs> and and there some of oh, the uh, it was it, a desert or was a beach I thought it was a beach no, no they first they were at a beach uh-huh. and then the next checkpoint is like in this desert area okay and if you remember um the, the the characters for uh, Slug's team are like trying to like you know get the information right. like give information and everything like we came at this checkpoint and then one of the cute 
women working for the saboteur walks by them and they're like caught off guard with her and then the saboteur just like like gingerly walks in and gives the checkpoint guy a, a box that says Adam Bomb written on it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> was, yeah. And I love it too. And, and all the guys they look at it and they go, "It's a bomb!" and they all start running away. And, it's and like, they open oh, the box and boom, and then it's, yeah. <laughs> it, it, but, but I love how when they all run away, it's like photographed that high speed thing where like they're like moving so fast and they're right. jumping around and everything. <laughs> but it, it, the box is like literally like a little box that has the word Adam Bomb written on right. it, and, like black sharpie marker <laughs> and it's, 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 it's about the size of a uh maybe like a, a not even a hat box it's like yeah yeah right but he like small. opens it opens it up and all of a sudden the camera does this weird swirly thing it was actually kind of a neat effect i'm trying to figure out how they did it but mm-hmm. it, and then like the the bomb goes off and then <laughs> One of the other uh, dudes racing walks by the guy, and he's like pretty much all covered in black and like burned. Yeah, <laughs> it was. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is going on here? This is so. Far. Yeah, <laughs> it's. But anyways, um, no. So the whole concept of this part one is like basically the race aspect of it, where mm-hmm. you know they're trying to beat each other. It's almost like um, if you watch the movie A Mad Mad World. Oh yeah, absolutely. Except. Spencer Tracy isn't is not in this, and neither is Buddy Hackett or Mickey Rooney or um, any of the big celebrities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Although they do have Mary Morgan, uh, George Morgan's wife, playing uh, Slug's mother, who gets to whack uh, Bart Carcel's character over the head with her purse, <laughs> almost like Ethel Merman. And fucking, <laughs> it's a mad, 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 mad world. <laughs> Close enough. I'll take it. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. But what I love about it, though, is like all these characters are like, they're, do you remember the part where they're like getting ready for the race? Mm-hmm. They're all like doing the exercises. Yeah, they're all doing it, calisthenics. Yeah. Yeah. But the way how they do it is like so ridiculous. Like at one point, one of them is like trying to ride a skateboard and they like crash into like <laughs> the side. Yeah. And then like this one heavy set dude is like so tired. He just like takes his arms and just move them back and forth. And then. Um, what was that one? Yeah. Oh, and then, uh, Slug is like standing on these two garbage cans while they're like going underneath him, and then the one dude runs over and grabs him up, right, up right. off of that. <laughs> yeah. So we get this weird little like montage of them like trying to like, you know, get ready for the big race and everything. <laughs> right. Right. But but anyway, so they, but uh, the uh, Duke Maserati's plan is mm-hmm. that. They're gonna kidnap uh, uh, Larry, the the athletic type for the who's on the Slugs team, and they do kidnap him. Right. <laughs> but there's a moment in the movie where like they do kidnap him, and they're ta- and it's like these gangster dudes in this like open convertible. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you remember this. This was like so again so they're ridiculous. They're a stoplight, right? Yeah. No, there's these two girls trying to hitch a ride, and then the car like swerves by and stops, and then the dude driving his face like collides into the into the windshield. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my god! Right, but and, and he, then he escapes out the back seat and then runs down. You know, and is able to uh, rejoin the race in progress. <laughs> right, right, and then there's a moment too where like. It's now down to like this one guy on Killer Crump's team and Larry, and they're like, they're like, ne- they're like neck and neck trying to like beat each other, and eventually Larry falls down, and then the other guy gets through. But if you noticed, 
he didn't win yet because he didn't go past the finish line. Right. So this woman comes up to him with like a bouquet of flowers and gives it to him. And then she like gives him a big hug, but she kind of like crushes him a little bit and he falls back. <laughs> and then Larry comes right through and goes to the finish line and wins for, for the slugs team. Right. No. And then the, and now, and now Larry doesn't appear in any other shorts, though. No, he does not. No, no. But but there's a moment in there where Gopher gets like completely lost, mm-hmm. and he ends up, and he ends up in like somewhere, like in the woods. At one point, I don't. They they like use a sound effect of like some weird bird call that you'd hear in like a jungle movie or whatever. Right, right. <laughs> but. Suddenly, Ratfink appears out of nowhere and is fighting Kogar the gorilla that's carrying so, Carol just and Fran. such a, a weird cameo. <laughs> yeah. And repeating the same fight scene from the first Ratfink Abubu, where he is, <laughs> where Ratfink punches Kogar the gorilla like three times and doesn't knock him out, and then Kogar knocks him out. But then Rake, Ray's character, Gopher, comes in and like basically interrupts the sequence. And I love it. The, the, the Kogar, Carolyn Brandt, and Ratfink suddenly stop doing their bit. Right. And then they turn to him and say, you, get out. Get out. <laughs> like, you ruined the bit. And then suddenly it cuts to a shot of, of, of Gopher like being startled. And then we cut to this shot where like it suddenly it takes place at night and we see this weird mummy walking around and like there's weird colored lighting. Right. Now, to explain this, though, as I said earlier, Ray hooked up with Joe Karsten and took these three movies and released it as Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monsters. Mm-hmm. So if you remember from our previous episode with The Incredibly Strange Creatures and The Thrill Killers, he hooked up with Joe Karsten with those films and then they did a you know a phony gag where like you'll see the monsters in person. And then you yeah. remember that whole thing yeah. about how mm-hmm. they come out and they have like the theater ushers dressed up as like the monsters and scaring people right. in the middle of the movie. That was what was supposed to happen in that particular scene in the Lemon Grove Kids. Because okay. if you notice, too, Ray's sideburns are a little longer <laughs> than what they were in 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 the actual you know the original movie. So they he had to shoot that sequence and edit that into that movie. <laughs> So that way they can have that moment where the monsters come out in front of the theater to scare the kitties. <laughs> well, Christopher, that's chopper-tastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, that's and then, a preview to our next film. <laughs> right, right. Well, but I'm explaining that because if you notice when he sees the mummy, all of a sudden it goes from being like Ray's character, like like – He's shocked, and it's daytime outside, and then it cuts to the mummy wandering around, and, and like you a know, thunder lightning, kind and of like thing. thunder and lightning, and like weird colored lighting, and Ray like trying to escape from the mummy, and and, and at one point the mummy uh, kidnapping Carolyn Brandt's character, and then dragging her away, and then mm-hmm. and then it cuts back to daytime where he sees the mummy, which is actually a different costume, by the way, <laughs> and and he's seeing him carrying a woman played by a different woman this time. <laughs> and then and then Ray's character jumps in and says, Drop that girl, creep, and he's like trying to fight it. And then the woman's like, Stop it, stop it. You're ruining the take. And he turns around and he notices that he's being filmed by an yeah. amateur eight millimeter film class. With a bunch of people behind them, yeah. 
Right, right. And the mummy, by the way, in that scene is played by the legendary Bob Burns, who is known for being the guy that uh, collects movie memorabilia. So he has like the original uh, time machine from the 1960 movie, the time machine. And, okay. and uh, he's got props from alien and like, you know, I mean, look him up. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's got all these props from these like horror and science fiction movies and stuff, but he, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and then I was premature. My trooper comment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Save right. that for later children. <laughs> right. So then of course, you know, uh, gopher runs away and then the short is over. And he, yeah, right. there's not, there's not a lot of monster action in this one as opposed there, to I, honestly, when it, when it said, when I said the lemon girls meet the monsters, like I was expecting monsters within the first, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And I'm like, it's a race. Yeah. Well, don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry, we're gonna and, get. To and this. then I see a gorilla, a guy in a gorilla costume. <laughs> well, and then a mummy. <laughs> so that's one. It's your mummy, not my mummy. <laughs> <laughs> so now we'll move on to part two. So part two, yes. the Lemon Grove kids meet the green grasshopper and the vampire lady from outer space, which is my favorite one out of all, yes, all three. Yeah, it's yeah, mine too. So the Lemon Grove kids are back with Slug, played by Mike Cannon, leading the charge, while Gopher, played by Ray Dennis Deckler. This time using his real name, Marvin Marvin, played Clash by Keith a- Ford or Clash yeah. Flag. <laughs> yeah. Marvin Marvin, played by Keith A. Wester. Jocko, played by Kedrick Wolf. Brick, played by Joseph Bardo. And Skinny, played by John Williams, serve as right hand men. This time, the gang has set up a special lawn cleaning service, and they are called upon by cranky Mr. Miller, played by Coleman Francis, to spruce up his yard. Then, out of nowhere, Various members of the gang are kidnapped by some mysterious dudes with red faces that wear plush monster suits. And if that couldn't get any weirder... That's a trooper, right? <laughs> no, no. A no. flying soft saucer appears and steps and outsteps a humanoid green grasshopper with a vampire lady, played by Carolyn Brandt, in tow. It seems the vampire lady is using Mr. Miller's home as headquarters to gather unsuspecting victims to satisfy her lust for blood drinking. And it's up to Slug and Gopher to put an end to this intergalactic madness before it gets all way out of hand. So, yeah, that's, uh, that is the Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Green Grasshopper and the Vampire Lady from Outer Space. It, wow, the title tells you everything, doesn't it? It's a little wordy. <laughs> but not as wordy as the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed-up zombies. <laughs> that, that is definitely the most wordy title I've ever heard of, yes, so far. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I like I said, I enjoyed this segment of the film more than the others uh i thought it was uh, creative i thought it was funny um again the use of the speeding up of the of the kids running around was in my opinion a little overdone over the over the course of the whole movie but i, I get it um they're what they're trying to go for getting that our gang that you know the east boys or east kids whatever the hell it was but um uh I, I really liked it, and I, I, my favorite part was when Gopher was in the flying saucer riding it like it was a merry-go-round. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome, too, because it's amazing how Steckler's mind worked for this. So as the story goes, the reason why this one got shot was because some guy drove up to his house <laughs> and said to him, hey, I heard you you make movies. And he's like, yeah. And you know, Ray said, of course I do. Why? And, and then the guy says, well, I've got a, I got a spaceship prop here. I'm going to let you have it for 20 bucks. <laughs> and he was like, what? And he saw it, and it's a spaceship. He's like, right. for, some, for some movie that never got made or whatever. 
So this dude was basically trying to unload that on the Ray to make 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 a profit off of it. Mm-hmm. But and Ray, being the uh, the resourceful person, realized, hey, I could probably use this for a movie of my own. So right. so lo and behold, this particular short and so yeah this one if you notice not a lot of the characters from the first episode are in this yeah it with the exception of uh mike cannon is slug and ray dennis deckler is gopher but everybody else in this one is kind of a newbie um it was kind of neat to see uh future uh Academy Award nominated sound editor Keith A. Wester in this thing playing playing the smart guy Marvin Marvin. He's the one that wears the glasses and okay. has binoculars. Kind of neat seeing him be in this. You would never have thought he would have become a future Academy Award nominee. <laughs> <laughs> and here he is in a Ray the Seckler movie <laughs> having fun being one of the gang. And um, but yeah, this one is, it's interesting though, too. So here's these grown up characters acting like yeah. ridiculous kids. Children, yeah. Children hanging around a bunch of actual children, which according to Ray and Carolyn Brandt in interviews, these were actually neighbors, kids and, you know, friends of Ray's and stuff like that, that he, he got to be in this thing. <laughs> Right. So, so and, and it, I love how it opens. They're like in this yard and like all the kids, they're like one of them is even like in a band. If you notice too, they're like playing in some weird rock bands. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Out, and, of, out of nowhere. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, Ray and one of the Ray's character go for one of the other guys is playing pool outside of a p- outside pool table. And like all these kids are running around and it's like, are they babysitting these kids or what? <laughs> Cause they're really not doing a very good job at it. But so anyways, we cut to a shot of, uh, uh, the table where slug is, that's like sleeping behind and they get a phone call and he picks it up. And it's this guy that named Mr. Miller played by Coleman Francis, who wants them to, um, to, to clean up his yard because I guess they're doing a, a, a yard cleaning service. Right. <laughs> so they go over there and I, and I love the, the weird ridiculous simplicity behind this. There's this and almost dangerous too, because there's a shot of them of Ray and all the kids in this truck coming up this road and slug is sitting on top of the hood. <laughs> and you think, wow, if, if, if whoever's driving that car made the wrong move, Mike Cannon will go flying off that thing. <laughs> right. But anyways, it's this shot where like they, you hear him coming down the road and it goes past the camera and then you hear a crash and the car, cr- and the truck crashes in front of a tree. <laughs> And uh, Mr. Miller comes out and basically tells him, I want you to clean this place up and, you know, make it look as, you know, clean as possible and and goes back inside. So now they're like out there trying to clean. And, you know, we get some like weird little comic bits like um, uh, um, Ray's character, like for some odd reason, ties a chair to a pole. I don't know if you remember that he ties a chair to a pole. He can put so he can put sticks on it. It's like what? What is that accomplishing for you? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I, I I wondered that too. <laughs> um, and, and then there's there was a weird moment too where like one of the characters is like this tall guy wearing a um, I don't know what you call it. It's like this weird hat like thing. They're like cleaning brushes by the side of the hill, and he keeps trying to climb up the hill, but he keeps falling down. Do you remember that yeah, one? Yeah. He's like, he just keeps calling. He's like ah. 
<laughs> falling down for whatever reason. Yeah, but it's like, why? <laughs> it's like, why? Is he just have like bad footing? Yeah, <laughs> this seems like an equilibrium, an equilibrium problem. <laughs> right. Oh, and we do get some cute shots of his uh, daughter, um, Laura Steckler, who plays the character Tickles. I don't know if you remember. She's the one wearing that flower, uh, orange flower dress. No, I, oh, okay. okay. I, yes. I, I don't recall, but okay. So that was his daughter. She's in this movie playing. T- well, she's the one that gets the flower. Do you remember that part? That uh, yes. Flower yeah. That yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably one of the most no-budget effects ever. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so... As all this mayhem is going on, um, suddenly the gang members are being kidnapped by like these weird characters in this plush suit, which is <laughs> is the trooper, but not quite the trooper. <laughs> yes, as I, as, as I prematurely uh, uh, yeah, yeah. let go, <laughs> as they often do. <laughs> yeah, it, well, we'll get to that story when we talk about that film. But basically, these weird... I get, basically humanoid aliens they got like red makeup faces and they're wearing this hoodie like thing that's like a plush thing mm-hmm. they have like monster claws but basically the 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 lemon grove kids are being abducted by these things and and the only ones that are left are, are the are the silly adult child characters and suddenly a spaceship shows up out of nowhere <laughs> as, one, as it often does as it often does is very typical in a Ray Dennis Steckler movie and <laughs> i love they see it and they're trying to figure out what it is and it's this humanoid grasshopper thing in green makeup and a green shirt and kind of walks with like T-Rex arms hunched over and like but there's a there's actually a cool no budget shot where like the green grasshopper creature gets out of the hops out of the spaceship and then it, it jump cuts to Carolyn Brandt jumping out from behind him and Carolyn is all dressed in like black with like white makeup and with like dark like like, like vibrant red lipstick right. <laughs> and and she sucks Mr. Miller's neck the, the blood of his neck and I love how. They're trying to figure out if she's a vampire. And of course, Slug says, there's no such thing as vampires. And he takes his hat and whacks him over the head with it. There's a lot of hat whacking going on. (laughs) (laughs) But so then they go inside and they're going to try to figure out how to get inside. And in the meantime, Ray's character, Gopher, decides to hop inside the flying saucer and turn it on. And it's these basically they have a, a little bit of a joyride, I would assume. Yeah, yeah. It's basically him traveling through other dimensions, achieved by the classic putting the camera on, turning it off, and then having him appear and reappear and reappear, or doing it in editing. Basically, again, no budget effect, but <laughs> now basically an in-camera effect. That's yeah, in camera, an in-camera and editing effect. It's 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 so low tech but it's it's pretty bizarre where like he's every time it cuts back to him appearing he's like in a weird position in the, the flying saucer anyway okay so after all that nonsense <laughs> uh they managed to break inside the house and uh crawl inside and slug tells them you know search this house all you know top to bottom and one of the characters decides to the character, I think his name is uh, Skinny, played by John Williams, but he's not skinny. He's actually slightly rotund. He <laughs> hops inside of a uh, what looks like an old luggage container and tries to hide. 
and then and then little um, tickles played by Laura Seckler appears for the window and wanders around in there. And there's also another weird moment too where Marvin Marvin and one of the other guys is like looking around, but they're crawling on the floor literally, like on the dirt. Like their faces are like in the dirt and they're crawling around. <laughs> yeah. Snakes. And I'm like, what the hell are they doing? Are they are they are they actually looking or are they just like hi- trying to hide? I don't know. <laughs> so eventually um all the all 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 the the characters with the exception of Slug and Gopher are abducted by the aliens and are they're corralled in hypnotic wonder at this one area of the basement. And uh interesting enough, okay, so this is Mr. Miller's house and the other inhabitants of this house are these two old ladies from that look like they should be in Macbeth. We have no <laughs> idea we have no idea where these two old ladies came from and how they're connected to this story. It's like they're just there. <laughs> like no and I mean literally they're like decked out to have like you know, like missing teeth and super stringy, like gray hair, and right. they look like witches. And I, I'm like, what? What is their connection to this story? <laughs> it's so weird. They're the so, Chupas' uh, bridesmaids of hell. Yeah, they're the Chupas' bridesmaids of hell. Yes, yes. So, so Works eventually, <laughs> so eventually, uh, uh, Gopher and Slug find the group. You know, and, and, and they see Marvin Marvin laying on the table. And at one point, they're going to try to, like, siphon Marvin Marvin's blood. And if you notice, one of them was going to take a hacksaw and cut him to pieces. And I'm like, this is a kid's movie, man. <laughs> What's going on? You gotta stop short. <laughs> you gotta st- yeah. So they're going to try to do that to him. So Slug sends Gopher out there. You know, go out there and stop this. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes goes out there. He's You're gonna send Gopher. Gopher's gonna be your hero. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Oh, good lord. And he goes out there and he's trying to stop them. And then the the vampire lady like puts the bite on Gopher. And I love it. He goes, "How would you like it if I did that to you, you vampire?" He does it to her, and she screams. <laughs> right. And then suddenly everybody wakes up from their trance. It like turns into like this crazy like you know everybody's like screaming and yelling and like running around. And at one point, there's a shot where Marvin and Marvin wakes up and he whacks his head on the light stand above, <laughs> and everybody is running and screaming, yeah. and. The, the green grasshopper and the vampire lady managed to disappear. And then there's a moment where like um, the, the old ladies are like in this room playing a piano and laughing maniacally. Right. <laughs> and they run up there and they're like running around and all panicky and shit and go, let's go, let's get out of here <laughs> now. Oh, and then in the meantime, before that, um, the green grasshopper had this like, really chintzy looking flower thing that is supposed to be used to make this that you can like like almost like a houdini wand point at somebody and like send them away to another dimension right which is what they did to mr miller so then and i love it they put it in a filing cabinet (laughs) and then little tickles played by laura seckler runs over the filing cabinet and grabs it (laughs) and then she starts making the the alien creatures disappear with it, and the and the old ladies disappear with it. It's just so bizarre. Oh yeah. my god, yeah. But then it ends with um, 
So now that the aliens are gone and like, and by the way, all the kids have ran away terrified and the only people that are left are slug and gopher and their adult child friends. And there's a, so Tim, I'm gonna let you explain this. So what happens to gopher? Oh, because- so, so gopher and his buddy are, I guess in the clubhouse, I want to say they run back to the clubhouse, right? They're in that no, shed. They're, no, they're still underneath the, they're still at Mr. Miller's house. Like, oh, all so, the- okay. So I, so, cause I see them run. So they, they, uh, they go into this clubhouse like, Oh man, we got away. Oh man. Can you believe that crazy vampire was going to such and such going to kill us? Yeah. And, yeah. 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 And then, <laughs> and then he goes out and he goes to his other buddy as they walk, he's in the door frame and his other buddy is like laying down or whatever it is. And then go for grabs his arm and then bites his arm. And then that's how they end the segment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gopher now has become a vampire wearing those El Tipo, uh, you know, dime store <laughs> Halloween fangs. Yeah, yeah, those Halloween fangs you can still get every year when you go trick or treating with your kids. Right. Those are the same probably exact Halloween fangs. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and I love how it ends. It ends with the end credits of, uh, of uh, Ray's daughter, uh, Laura, on the, on the, on the swing. <laughs> <laughs> with that weird little flower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of dark, I want to say. It for... is kind of dark, surprisingly, for a kid's movie. <laughs> you go from a race to, you know, vampirism. <laughs> well, I, I forgot to mention this, too. I love the, the fact that they have these two um, sexy girls that are, like, with the team. And there's a moment where they're, like, playing in this, like, that, like that little, like, a little kiddie pool right and and ray ends up in the pool with them <laughs> but they're wearing like the most like the most buxom bikinis that you see <laughs> and again it's like this is a kid's movie man yeah. what's going on here <laughs> but it, yeah it, it's a it, it, this is definitely like the best of the three episodes on this thing you know i mean it's just so ridiculously over the top and weird at the same time though again it's almost like a very polished movie because because mm-hmm. it's like basically Ray and his actor buddies with a camera and, you know, going in their backyard and making a movie. I mean, that that's actually the way I, when I first heard about this movie. I never saw this movie until it came out on DVD back in like 2002 or 2004. I remember reading about this movie and basically every reviewer was like Ray and his buddies got a 60 millimeter camera, and, <laughs> you know, shot a bunch of shit and made this thing called the Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monsters. And I remember reading that as a kid, you know. I used to was like taking a, like a video camera and like fucking around with that with friends. And I'm like, wow, that sounds kind of cool. I want to see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it but it, it, it's actually a surprisingly like, like for a movie made with friends and family, you'd expect it to not be very coordinated, but it's surprisingly pretty coordinated. It doesn't feel like, you know, I mean, yeah, he, it was probably improv in, in classic Steckler tradition, but uh, it doesn't feel like it was whipped up together in like a complete day. <laughs> it, it feels pretty elaborate when you consider the fact that they're running around, you know, Ray and Carolyn Brandt's house <laughs> <laughs> and doing a film called The Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Green Grasshopper and the Vampire Lady from Outer Space. <laughs> but nevertheless, that's part two. So now... We go to part three, which in my personal opinion is kind of the, I would say the most sedate episode. So part three, the Lemon Grove kids go Hollywood. So once again, the Lemon Grove kids are back, but this time Slug is nowhere, nowhere in sight. So it's Gopher played by Ray Dennis Steckler, who's on hand to take the lead. 
Gopher is asked by his singer buddy Don, played by Don Snyder, to assist him in doing some housekeeping work for Hollywood starlet C.B. Beaumont, played by Carolyn Brandt, with kids Linda, played by Linda Steckler, Tickles, played by Laura Steckler, and Pee Wee, played by Tony Flynn in tow, as well as professional Swami fortune teller Marvin Marvin, played by Keith A. Wester, showing up. Gopher and Don arrive at CB's place and start to work. In the meantime, Killer Crump, played by Herb Robbins, and his bumbling cohort, Nick, played by Eric Morris, intend to kidnap CB and hold her for ransom. Once Killer Crump and Nick tie Gopher up and abduct CB and contact Big Shot film producer and director Mr. Carstairs, played by Ted Roeder, under the screen name of Boris Balakoff, they make a shocking discovery. CB's film career is all washed up, and she isn't worth anything to the studios anymore. <laughs> so while all this is going on, it's up to Gopher and the gang to thwart Killer Crump's plans. So, like I said, it's interesting. So, Slug is no longer in this thing. It's right. basically just Gopher, played by Ray Dennis Teckler, and his kids. And... Uh, what's interesting about this too is that, um, according to Ray, and I think you watched the, um, did you watch the interview with him on that disc? Um, by chance? Let me, I don't, I don't recall. Let me grow because I remember watching it for the next film. The other, we're talking yeah, about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. So Ray, after he did the second film. The Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Green Grasshopper and the Vampire Lady from Outer Space. He was told by somebody that they were friends with. Uh, uh, the Bowery Boys performer, uh, uh, Hunts Hall. So okay. now remember, everybody said Ray looked like Hunts Hall. So Ray asked or the guy, Hunts hey, Hall look like Ray? Yeah, or, or Hunts Hall. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, they, they look they, they eerily similar. So Just Ray, giving you a hard time. Right, right. Ray uh, asked the guy, well, do you think you can like get Hunts Hall to take a look at this second Lemon Grove Kids film I did? And He's like, yeah, sure, if you can arrange a screening. So he arranged a screening, and Hunts Hall showed up, and they watched it. And according to Ray, Hunts told him, you know, hey, I liked it. But there was one thing, one mistake that you made. And he goes, well, what was that? And he says, well, if you're playing me, you should be the main center of attention of, of, of the film. And, he, and Ray was kind of like, oh, okay. Even though in the back of his head, he was thinking, well, I really didn't w- don't want to do that because I liked everybody in the film. I thought everybody was funny. <laughs> I didn't want to just take the, you know, the, the spotlight. But nevertheless, so he asked Hunts, hey, would you like to come and have dinner at my house with my family and, you know, maybe talk about doing a film together? And Hunts was like, yeah, sure. So Hunts came over and they had dinner at, at Ray's house. And, you know, they were talking about stuff and Ray had questions about, you know, to hunts about like when he was doing the Bowery boys films and everything. So, at, so they were talking and at one point, uh, uh, he asked hunts about, a, about being a, on a, on an episode of flipper, I think it was. And, you know, flipper about the dolphin, you know, as right, well. right. um, and he and hunts told them, Oh yeah, I like doing that thing. The best thing about that was I was able to get meal penalties for the crew. Meal penalties are basically if you go on overtime. So you're you know, you get like, you know, more money or or, or, or longer breaks. And Ray was like, Well, why do you say that? And he goes, Well and Hunts told him, Well, I used to flub my lines so that way it would go for overtime. <laughs> and, and and that really bothered Ray because he was like, oh man, this is my hero. And he's like fucking over the producers and stuff. He, he's trying to get the most out of everything. Yeah. 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 So then, but Ray kept his mouth shut on that. And so then um, Ray 
said to him, okay, well, you know, I want to do another Lemon Grove Kids film. I think it would be a great idea if you play my father in it because we, you know, we both look the same. So Hunts told him something like, well, I'll do it, but I have to be paid like 15000 or $20,000 for a week's worth Ooh. of work. And Ray was like, I don't know, man. That's you like, know, I make movies for $500. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's like, that's like probably my entire budget for the movie. And, and, you know, and Hunts at that time was like kind of still stuck in this viewpoint where like that's what he was paid when he did the bowery boys for out for allied artists back in the 50s or, or monogram back in the 40s so ray was like well i gotta think about it i'll see what i can do and then of course ray pretty much said yeah that's not gonna happen so he he told huntsall yeah I, I can't do that it's not gonna work out but you know he was very nice about it so a couple days go by and one day ray gets a phone call from uh Hunts's wife and she said to him, well, since you're not doing the since you and my husband are not going to do the movie, I just want to let you know that if you wear that baseball cap again in that move in, in your next Lemon Grove Kids movie, we're going to sue you. Now, the reason why she said that is because, remember, the Lemon Grove Kids was basically a homage to the Bowery Boys. So the character that Ray played, Gopher was wearing this baseball cap, if you remember. Right, well, That's right. the same thing that Hunts Hall did in the Bowery Boys mo- movies. Okay. So so she threatened to sue Ray if he wears that baseball cap again, you know, imitating Hunts Hall. So in Lemon Grove Kids Go Hollywood, if you notice, he's not wearing the baseball cap anymore. Oh, he's wearing, wow. <laughs> he's, wearing, he's wearing a pork pie hat. So, so, so he 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 was very afraid of that. And Couldn't he wear the baseball cap backwards? No, he wore it like the way how Hunts Hall wore it. Right, and, right. I know, but yeah, but, if but it, he didn't wear it backwards at all. Yeah, know? that's what so, I'm saying. Couldn't he, he could have gotten away with wearing it backwards? He it didn't probably have to be like, could. He probably could have, but he he said in the interview with respect with respect to, to Hunts Hall, I decided not to do that. And and I love in the interview, he, the interviewer said to him. You know, because Ray said, "Isn't that sad?" And, and and the interviewer said, "Yeah, it is." And then Ray goes, "Yeah, but it's the truth, man." <laughs> so, so, anyways, I I figured I'd impart that little trivia yeah. note for anybody that watches this because, you know, that that, that seems kind of sad and like simple, silly and stupid. At the yeah, same time. But that's but that's what's so interesting too, because like, you know, when you get to Ray's later films and how much he got sick of Hollywood, that was like the thing that. That was just one of the things that you could tell. He was like, God, you know, I, I meet my, one of the straws that broke the camel's back basically. Yeah. He's like, I met one of my idols and this is how I got treated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Well, and and it's, you know, it's easy to say, welcome to Hollywood, Ray. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, holy, holy shit. You know? And then again, this is Mr. Nice guy, Ray Dennis Deckler being, you know, like, Hey, I wasn't trying to like step on your toes. I love your work, Hunsall. That's why this is a homage to that stuff. But, but you know, me over. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. So, so anyways, you know what? I mean, this one is kind of more, this one is part three. Lemon Grove kids go Hollywood is pretty much family friendly stuff that we see here. There's no monsters. There's no, it's basically another kidnapping story. <laughs> Which is always fun for kids' movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's done for laughs. I mean, if you notice, Killer Crump is carrying around some, carrying around a paper bag that says kidnap bag on it. <laughs> and he's got a bumbling fool of an assistant that actually is smarter than him. So <laughs> we, can, we can surmise from this. 
Chris, is that there was only monsters in the second portion of the film. Right, right. There's supposedly the third episode didn't play much theatrically, and I could kind of see why. But as far as like the tie-in to the series, I guess it's all right. But anyways, you know, basically it's 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 Ray playing Gopher with his two daughters, Linda and Laura Steckler, and. Uh, um, another character, uh, Tony Flynn, uh, playing the Lemon Grove kids, but in a smaller unit, mm-hmm. uh, teaming up with their guitar playing uh, singer Don, played by Don <laughs> Snyder, who, by the way, uh, was in the Incredibly Strange Creatures. He played the guitarist in that one musical bit before Carolyn Brandt's character gets killed by Ray when he was possessed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. So they they team up in this thing and they're like gonna go go do some house cleaning work, just like in the previous movie. <laughs> go do some house cleaning work for a, a movie star played by Carolyn Brandt, CB Beaumont. <laughs> so, and it, it's kind of cheesy, you know. I mean, it's like this good natured stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, Ray and the kids being all nice and everything, and. There's a scene where she asks Gopher to like read the script for this big budget movie called Cleopatra that's being made. Right, right. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you're the star now. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, so um oh, and then Keith Wester shows up again playing Marvin 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 Marvin, except this time he's dressed up as a swami. <laughs> <laughs> he has that huge turban thing he's wearing, and uh, and he shows up to like tell like, CB's fortune. And of course, the fortune is that basically she's going to get kidnapped. Which surprise, surprise, she does. Uh, and uh, Gopher gets tied up by um, by um, by uh, um, I'm forgetting the name for a second. Oh, um, by Killer Crump, played by Herb Robbins, and his cohort Nick, played by Eric Morris. And Ray told a funny story about Eric Morris in this. Eric is actually, if you look him up on IMDb, he's actually a, a fairly working character actor. But at the time when Eric was in this movie, he didn't really have a lot of film work. And according to Ray, Eric one day walked into his office and said, I want to do a movie for you. And, he, and, and Ray was like, why? And he goes, because I've heard about you. You're one of these guys that just somehow manages to get a camera and make a movie. And I need some film work, man. So, so out of nowhere, he went to Ray, and um, so, so he ends up. Um, they end up kidnapping CB, and then we get we get a moment where they call up the big producer director, Miss Carstairs, played by Ted Roeder, who acts under this movie under the name of Boris Balakoff. By the way, did you notice something, Tim? Um, for the studio office there's a sign saying steckler western film Productions. yes yes and then the lady answers the phone yes yeah that was that was ray and keith's office that they were (laughs) that they rented out for like editing for like um uh like commercials and tv stuff and post-production work because they had teamed up for that so i find it funny that it's steckler western film production (laughs) they're promoting themselves in this movie within the movie Within the movie, yeah. Breaking the fourth wall, maybe? <laughs> right, breaking the fourth wall. And now, Mr. Carcer is played by Ted Roeder. Interesting thing about Ted, he was one of the founding members of the um, the pre- now, now prestigious 
I believe, Santa Monica Playhouse Theater, which was like a an, an acting school mm-hmm. for um, you know for actors, and I believe it's still around. But he was one of the founding members of that. I think. Oh, cool. I think him and maybe Robert Stack were both involved in that at one point. I think. Mm-hmm. But um, interest. But now here's what's interesting. Ted was the prestigious founder of became the prestigious founder of the Santa Monica Playhouse, and on the side, Ted would also serve as a film director under various aliases of soft and hardcore porno. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, that's the whole family then. <laughs> so, but very interesting about him. So, but he's, but the thing though is that in the Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Green Grasshopper and the Vampire Lady from Outer Space and the Lemon Grove Kids Go Hollywood, Ted is credited as a director of these two films. But according to Ray, Ted didn't technically direct these films. He sort of supervised because what happened was that Ted wanted to direct them and Ray said, okay. Mm-hmm. But as he found out, Ted was a theater director, not a film director. So Ted didn't really know much about camera placement and, you know, staging for the camera, mm-hmm. adding to the fact that Ted didn't quite understand that, you know, we can only shoot one take because they didn't have a lot of money. So, mm-hmm. so, so Ted kind of sort of directed in terms of performances, but as far as the directing of the camera and movement, it was, it was all Ray, but, uh, he said, but Ray said he had to use the Ted Roeder directed by Ted Roeder title card for the Lemon Grove Kids Go Hollywood because he didn't have money for another title card to put him as the director. <laughs> so, so another example of Ray reusing a title card. <laughs> but anyways, he, he's got to get the bank for his buck, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love how how over the top Ted Roeder is as the, as the director in this. He's like looking over this movieola, watching a scene, and he tells this this assistant editor who's like covered in film is telling him no you nincompoop you cut this scene too short and this cut goes too long <laughs> right right hold and my he, calls yeah yeah and, and he's like wearing like sunglasses and then when he takes the phone call from killer crump he takes the sunglasses off and he's wearing regular glasses underneath them. Right. it's like the joke in airplane if you remember when robert stack right wearing the glasses and he's constantly even <laughs> So, so, anyways, long story short, uh, uh, Mr. Carstairs tells Killer Crump, hey, sorry, dude, but uh, C.B. Beaumont isn't worth anything anymore, so you're not going to get anything. Actually, he says actually something very cruel. Yeah. He says, oh, yeah. he says maybe you can get a good deal at a used car, car lot dealer. <laughs> like, <laughs> and he's laughing maniacally like a bad guy in a Bond movie. Right. Like, oh my god! And that, and then he's the one that comes out when when uh, what was it? Uh, Go- Gopher? Like, well, saves yeah. The, yeah, but yeah, we're getting there. Yeah, well, when we get there, so basically, uh, Killer Crump and his buddy Nick are like kind of up shit creek. They don't now realize they've got a lemon on their hands, as they were told, so they and can't they, get any money. Right. And in the meantime, they get attacked by Don and raise kids and they get thwarted by them and then and then um gopher manages to untie himself and then like take the rope and do like a um keystone cops thing where once when killer crump and uh, nick run by he, he trips them and then ties them up and the whole and the camera is sped up so it's like you know keystone cop type shit mm-hmm. and it ends with the press 
visiting C.B. Beaumont's place, and uh, uh, and and, oh, and Mr. Carstairs is there, being all like, "Oh convenient. no, yeah, convenient." But he's like, "Oh no, my my my, my big Hollywood star, star yes, is back in the news." And and I love it. He goes, "And I'm going to have her be in my next major motion picture, and that's going to be Cleopatra." <laughs> and I love it. She, she goes, "That's fine, but can you do me a?" huge favor and she does this in front of people so it's on film and yeah yeah but i love it though too i love when ted's looking around like what's wrong a million dollar deal is not enough for you and then he goes no i just want to pick my leading my leading man and he goes oh "Oh, well anything for you cb and and then she opens the door and who ends up being her leading man gopher yeah With his bolo hat or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, his pork pie hat, and he's wearing pork like this nice, nice, nice um, suit type thing, and just looking very <laughs> gomer pileish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but ho- hamming it up in front of the camera, <laughs> and that's the end of that episode. So yeah, that's that's the Lemon Grove Kids meet the monsters. <laughs> it's 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 silly family, you know, pap basically. Right. Not really horror. I mean, we could have probably just done part two, but we had to do the other episodes for context purposes. So, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, you know, they are what they are. I mean, like, they're silly. They're silly movies. But I, I don't know. For me, I kind of enjoy them because they are silly and because it's just Ray and his buddies goofing in front of the camera. You know, obviously, on the one hand, saying, you know, you have no business to be doing that, but at the same time, have the chutzpah to actually get a movie made out of it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, I enjoyed them for what they were. They're, they're not great films, but I mean, they're fun in their own weird way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what would you give this film? What would you give it a thumbs up, thumbs down, in the middle? What would you? Uh, give? you know what? Guilty pleasure, thumbs up for what oh, it is. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm tending to lead towards thumbs in the middle, with slightly towards the up instead of down. I'm like, uh, it's. A little more than the middle, but not quite a thumb up. Thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, 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 I enjoyed the second second series. The first one, second one were eh, all right. I'm like, uh, it did have definitely did have some production value. I, I felt that the speeding up the camera was way overused and all. <laughs> I, that, that that was very jarring to me because even when I, even being a classic like Three Stooges and our gang and stuff kind of like like. Damn, there's still a lot of overuse of speeding up the feet to to run around and be goofy. I'm like, and I dig it. I just it was too much for me. <laughs> but oh, with sweet limo, shut up, you pighead. Yeah. Hey, you did. I wish there was actually more of that. <laughs> but yeah, it is what it is. It's just silly. Yeah. It's silly fun. It's it's all right. I'm gonna, I'm like it's all right. <laughs> so um, now let's take a brief intermission, and we'll be right back after this. Hang tight, guys.
And we're back. Take it away, Chris. Yes, as the early 1970s loomed forward, Ray Dennis Deckler found himself at a bit of a crossroads. The low-budget side of the film industry was changing with increasing violent content and sexual shenanigans for the drive-in consumer, and the mainstream side of Hollywood couldn't care less who Ray Dennis Deckler is or was. While that newfangled genre known as hardcore was still not quite at its zenith yet, the sexploitation genre was still kicking around. Sexploitation films of that time were generally regarded as soft X movies featuring full frontal nudity and phony sexual acts to make up for the thin storylines and questionable acting. Looking at it through a, quote, marketing standpoint, unquote, Steckler most likely took the plunge towards this genre for practical reasons, i.e. the money, and thus he made Cynthia the Devil's Doll for producer Dorothy K. Sonny of Sonny Amusements. However, as per his usual modus operandi, Steckler just couldn't contain himself, and for this outing, while he managed to deliver the female nudity and soft X content, he also decided to present it as a, quote, art film, unquote, utilizing various editing techniques, color gel lighting, and experimental optical effects to create a dreamlike tale involving nightmares, murder, incest, and maybe a pact with the devil. Uh, despite all this, Cynthia the Devil's Doll was a hodgepodge of scenes and ideas not suitable for the regular sexploitation audience. Producer Dorothy K. Sonny demanded reshoots and Steckler obliged. But the loss of creative control on this project resulted in Ray to sign the film under the alias of Sven Christian in order to distance himself from the final product. During the early 70s, Ray Dennis Steckler had formed a partnership with sound editor friend Keith A. Wester to form Steckler Wester Film Productions in order to make independent features as well as serve as post-production editing facility for commercials and films. It was during this period in which Steckler was offered to work on a proposed television program in Las Vegas, but once Ray and wife Carolyn Brandt moved the family to Sin City, the project fizzled out. And it was this period in which Steckler would be introduced to a newfangled genre of film that would become profitable and illegal, hardcore porn. <laughs> Originally starting out as 8mm stag loops that were shown in small booths and adult bookstores, the concept of making a hardcore feature-length product lensed on professional 60mm or 35mm film for release in art house and sex-themed theaters would slowly turn into a genre unto itself. And once Deep Throat became a box office hit in 72, suddenly hardcore porno was looking up and it would be a genre Steckler would become entrenched in under a false alias or two or three. Or four. Uh, Steckler hooked up with Will Long, a part-time actor and full-time agent who also ran the Cinema Arts Theater in Las Vegas, which specialized in screening adult movies. The owners of the Cinema Arts Theater were brothers Henry Hank Cartwright and Gene Cartwright, both starting out running successful fast food franchises and had decided to apply the same principle to the wonderful world of porno cinema, even going as far as attempting to turn their adult businesses into a legit corporation with stocks and securities. All the Cartwrights needed was someone to make a slew of hardcore films for their theaters to play, and thus, Raiden Steckler was the man to do so, hiding under the screen name of... Sven Christian. Now, while being a peddler of smut was enough to pay the bills, it wasn't enough for Steckler to consider a full-time career in, at least not yet. Steckler decided to take the family all the way out to the desert area of Pahrumpf, Nevada, and, putting aside any attempts to tackle other genres that he did not tread previously, Steckler went straight back to horror, despite not either paying too much attention or unwilling to cap capitulate to the demands of how much the market had changed since his heydays of the 1960s. 
our intrepid filmmaker scrounged $600, according to him, to start off shooting what would become The Chupa in 1971. <laughs> With producers Henry Hank Cartwright and Gene Cartwright brought in to secure the remaining funds. Once again, Carolyn Brandt was enlisted to play the female lead, but it was during this period that the Steckler-Brandt marriage was said to be on the rocks. And the film sort of hints at that via Brandt's on-screen character being a washed-up horror movie starlet who was in such movies like... The incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies <laughs> and the thrill killers making one wonder if Ray was not only self-referencing his past work, but was also laying his marriage woes out there for all to see. Steckler's buddy Ron Haydock was on hand to act and assist behind the camera, but it was a turbulent time for Ron as he was going through bouts of depression and career woes. Supposedly filmed in a total of three days, the trooper would serve as a perfect example of the definition of minimalist as it is an odd film that manages to soak up the Nevada desert atmosphere quite well. But once again, Steckler made the film his way, abandoning over the top gore and violence in exchange for his love of capturing cinematic moments and relying on the improvisation of his on-screen performers to sell the marginal storyline and sell. It didn't as the trooper allegedly had a one week theatrical screening at a drive-in theater in Denver, Colorado. And that was it. But Steckler must have liked some of the film's elements, for in 1980, he reduced the Chupers' original 70-minute running time to an even shorter set, 55 minutes, and added a different stock music score, retitled the film Blood Shack, and even going as far as to credit himself in the re-edit as Wolfgang Schmidt. <laughs> There is a legend about this valley, a tale carried across the winds of time, a legend strange and sinister, the legend of the Chupert. What kind of ghosts to haunt a place like this? It's a dump. It's an old Indian ghost. It's gonna come out at night and it's gonna get them. Kills people? I heard about your ghost and how it kills people. Well, I ain't a chicken, not like my friend. I dare it to come get me. It's about 150 years history of death in it. You know that. Chipper legend? I'm a local constable. I just on my way up to see. Well, I'm checking most of the ranches around. I'm looking for a couple of kids. Uh, local kids. They turned up missing, and well, nobody can find them. It's all the same to you, Miss Brown. I'd like to check out that old house. A lot of strange stories connected to that old place. Stay away, you hear me? Stay away! The trooper will get you! That was hot. That yes. Was hot. Oh, God. Wolfgang Schmidt, he is amazing. <laughs> yes. In the late 1960s, Ray Dennis Steckler made an attempt to veer away from the stranger drive-in genre fair. And in a way, you could say this was an attempt to go stream. Uh, sometime around 1969... 
Steckler decided to take a shot at making a crime thriller titled Body Fever. Despite being filmed in color and more or less reflecting that late 1960s vibe with a style almost similar to the French New Wave, headlined by the likes of Francois Truffaut and Jean-Luc Godard, Body Fever was Steckler's personal take on the tradition of Raymond Chandler crime novels, as well as a slight imitation of Humphrey Bogart movies like The Big Sleep and Dark Passage. It was also one of the few movies which Steckler attempted to not star in. That is, until the the original leading actor decided to rally against Steckler after three days of shooting, kicking the egotistical wannabe lead off the picture, Steckler donned a toupee and proceeded to take over as the lead role of the gumshoe detective on the search for stolen heroin. Despite the change in pace, as well as Steckler proving he could do gritty crime thrillers, Body Fever did not get much in the way of distribution. Steckler would occasionally re-release the film under alternate titles like Super Cool and the last original B-movie. The Trooper takes place in the hot and sweaty desert of Nevada on a small ranch property overseen by Daniel, played by Horace DeWayne King under the screen name of Jason Wayne. On said property is an abandoned house that was built by early settlers of the era. However, when the settlers accidentally killed the son of an Indian shaman, the house was cursed with the legend of an Indian god known as the Chupa. Basically, the Chapa. Uh, the chopper. <laughs> Basically, anyone who sets foot in the abandoned house will be killed by the trooper. Well, chopper. a young girl named Connie, played by <laughs> Laurel Spring, decides to spend the night in the old shack, much to the warnings of Daniel. And wouldn't you know it, at nightfall, the dreaded trooper shows up and murders Connie. The next oh, day, that Dan- chopper. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> the, the, ne- the next day, Daniel finds Connie's body and proceeds to bury her out in the desert. After that, Daniel picks up former Hollywood starlet Carolyn Brandt, played by uh, uh, Carolyn Brandt, who has just inherited the ranch property from her father, who was a former big shot horror movie director. Local business entrepreneur Tim, played by Ron Haydock, wants to buy the property from Carolyn so badly for his own purposes. But Carolyn, a, that's a great name. I love that name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Carolyn, but Carolyn holds out and. Perhaps maybe the trooper might have something to say about that as well. So yeah, that's the trooper, aka Bloodshack. Now before we begin, the chopper. Oh, the chopper. Before we begin, it's the Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, it's the chopper. Don't go in the house. The chopper. Um, so before we begin, I'm gonna. So the okay. trooper, surprisingly, even though it's really not a personal favorite of any sort does hold a special place in my heart for this was one of those movies that I did rent way back in the day at the, the local video store. And, uh, I had no Would idea. Would that be at way- Sona video? It could have been Sona video. Yeah. Oh, so oh, I, 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 had, I had no, I had no idea who Ray Dennis Steckler was when I was like a kid or whatever the age I was then. So, and I had no idea what this movie was about. I just remember going to the video store, seeing the video cover. It was a picture of this skull with this like uh, eagle's feather over the over the the forehead mm-hmm. with eyeballs in the skull, and it said "Chooper." And I'm like, "Okay, what's this about?" And it it was definitely one of those movies where it was like on the bottom shelf collecting dust for ages. But right. it's, it's well because honestly, if you Joe Bob Briggs and anybody else, uh, Chapa. Chopper, <laughs> the chopper, yes, the chopper. So anyway, <laughs> it, it, it's okay, you know. Honestly, to, for me, like you, we were saying, uh, I prefer uh, Bloodshock because it's just easier to roll off the tongue. It's right, easier right. for it's easier for uh, drive-in movie theaters. It's easier for everyone. The blo- right, 
but anyways, real quick though, I wanted to say, so I rented this movie and I absolutely hated it as a kid. I hated it. It was just awful. And then I proceeded and I never even paid attention to who directed it. You know, who was responsible for it. I just remember hating it. And then lo and behold, many years later, I think it was early two thousands. And when I started hearing more about Ray's movies and of course, the one title that got mentioned was The Trooper. And I was like, did I watch that movie way back when? And then, of course, it turned out, yeah, I did watch it. Now, what was interesting is I didn't know that there was a shorter version of this movie called Blood Shack until I had bought, I used to get like, um, you know, uh, bootleg VHS catalogs from like places like something weird video sinister cinema and sinister cinema they actually carried quite a few of ray's movies but they carried both the trooper and blood shack edits and well, i never that's bought one them. of the same you know so yeah yeah I, I never bought them but the, the 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 person who wrote the the copy for the title said you know blood shack this is an alternate edit of the trooper that runs 55 minutes because and they and the, the claim was is that ray said that when he made the movie, The Trooper, he was told by his distributor, whoever the hell that was, um, the movie runs too short. So Ray padded it out by showing scenes of Carolyn Brandt going with Daniel and these two kids that live nearby to go to the rodeo. And supposedly that was what was used to pad the movie out. But what's interesting is if you watch the Blood Shack version, um, Ray keeps most of the rodeo footage in that 55 minute cuts and actually edits out superfluous dialogue sequences. So it's kind of odd that, you know, Ray would consider the, you know, he, cause he considered Bloodjack his preferred edit, but you know, so it's, it's, it's weird that the, uh, usually it's the other way around. Yeah. 99% of the time. It's like, it's, if it's the director's cut, the producer's cut, it's blah, blah, blah. Director's cut. It's always longer, not shorter. However, uh, yeah, I, I noticed that the, the same thing. I, I haven't had the opportunity to see that, but I, after watching the interview with Joe Bob Briggs and and uh, watching the film, I'm like, well, um, I, okay, I shouldn't. I had I didn't have a lot of time, yeah. so I'm like, I'm th- I so I was like, oh shit, well, I don't feel bad not watching the. I guess the theatrical cut after watching yeah. the producer's or director's cut, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm like, it's all good. But what I find interesting about it is why Ray would go back to the trooper and re-edit it to 55 minutes because he didn't do that. So he made the trooper in 70, right. 71. And then he goes back in 1980 to do a recut version of the trooper. And I can only suspect the reason why he did that was he made a movie in 77 called the Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row Slasher, which we'll be talking about in part three down the line. I can only assume what he did was he was, he, he took the trooper, edited down the 55 minutes and tried pairing that with the Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row Slasher as some part of double feature distribution deal for theatrical, maybe, but possibly, and, possibly, but here's the weird part about it though, is that Ray, and this is the credit I got to give him. He got more traction with these two versions in the home video market than what you would imagine, because both these films showed up on home video, both versions from like two different home video labels. 
So it was like Ray sold distribution rights to like one video company for the Trooper, and then here comes Bloodshack. It's the same exact movie, but fifty-five, <laughs> but twenty-minute shorter. Yeah. Sells that to a different home video company. <laughs> and can you imagine going to a to a video store and seeing the Trooper and running that and going, "Oh, that's terror. I didn't like that." And then picking up Bloodshack and then watching that and going, "It's the same fucking movie." <laughs> well. If you didn't like the trooper, check out Blood Shack. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's shorter, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> yeah. Now, as for the okay, so I've seen the trooper cut and the Blood Shack cut. So you know, whatever differences, I'll point out. Uh, I'll mention because, as you said, Tim, the version you watched was the Blood Shack version. Right. But um, the only yes. version. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So truthfully, I think and I talked to you about this before we were recording. I truthfully think that had Ray capitulated to the drive-in market and added blood and gore and maybe like made the storyline a little more palpable. I think he, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but I can kind of see it. I think he would have beaten Texas Chainsaw Massacre by like three years. Now that, that's not to say that the movie would have been right. better, but because this movie does sort of share a similar, um, um, claustrophobic vibe with the Toby Hooper movie mm -hmm. in which it takes place. The both movies take place literally in the middle of nowhere, you know, and there's a, like, like a stifling atmosphere that kind of gets to you. And, and the stifling atmosphere in the troop, the trooper, a, AKA Bloodshack, is very, very, very surprisingly effective. It's like, it's, it, it takes place on this ranch in the middle of the Nevada desert. Mm -hmm. There's an old shack next to it. There's an ancient Indian curse. There's people being murdered. You know, you There's hear something sexy like, time, you know? Yeah. 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 It's like, that's not a bad idea. Hey, hey I'm all in until you watch the movie and you discover it's not really as palpable as one would hope for. It's well, basically just characters wandering around and, and you know, the story takes forever to get to its, you know, conclusion and it's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, here, 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 when, I, when I was doing research on the uh, blood track, AKA the chopper trooper, I always want to say the chopper. Cause I'm, like, <laughs> cause I'm, I'm not a Schwarzenegger guy. Anyway. So Ray Densickler or, Ray Densickler's original cut of the Chopper or Trooper was only 60 minutes long. The film could not be distributed unless it was a minimum of 70 minutes. Yes. So Steckler so. went back and added 10 minutes of random footage from the rodeo. Yeah, so, and that's what, but that's what I mean when I say yeah. you watch the Bloodshack cut. All most of that rodeo footage is intact in the oh, 55 oh, no. minute version. Oh, totally, so. it is. Totally, is. It's, there, there's just more voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now uh, the thing, the things that Ray edited out of the Blood Shack version was Carolyn Brandt's character's background, because there was narration from her in which she described her background about how she was an actress that was trying to make it in Hollywood, and she did these movies, and they didn't pan out, and now she inherited a ranch that. It's probably not worth anything. Right. And then there was a scene in the trooper that's edited out of blood shack where Ray Dennis Deckler once again is very being very self-referential in which uh, Daniel takes Carolyn into her father's office in the ranch house. And he, on the wall is like a, a poster for the incredibly strange creatures as well as a title card for 
that film's re-release, the Teenage Psycho meets Bloody Mary, and there's the poster for the Thrill Killers. So much, this was much <laughs> much like the Thrill Killers, where they had other posters of other movies. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. So this was Ray being very self-referential. Well, all that stuff he cut out of the Blood Shack version. He also cut out the open half of the opening sequence where Carolyn narrates the uh, explanation about why the. The, the background about why the shack is haunted and everything. So Ray cut out quite a bit of superfluous material. He also edited out a couple of scenes in the blood shack version where there's more footage of his two daughters, Laura and Linda Steckler playing uh, these neighbor kids that come by. And, and, uh, uh, and honestly, the, the, that was a highlight for me <laughs> where they were trying. Yeah. And, and I watched the, uh, the extras, uh, the, the interviews and how they were just, he just told them to play with a single chair in the middle yeah. of the desert. <laughs> and it was, and honestly, that was, honestly, I want to say that was very entertaining because like, Hey, we're just going to let it roll. Let these kids just do be kids and play with this single chair because yeah. they're in the middle of fucking nowhere and they got nothing but tumbleweeds and dirt to play with. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that goes once again the Ray's yeah. improvisational style, where occasionally right. he'll he'll come up with something that like actually kind of holds your attention with that. The other thing though that I find interesting is Ray's claim that he shot this movie for five hundred to six hundred dollars. No, no, I, here's, I here's, think he was kind of fibbing on that one. Here's the thing: as, as much as I would love for him to say that it was shot on five hundred bucks. Here's the thing, even if you not pay the cast and crew anything, let's just say you don't, you, let's just say they're volunteering their time, right, for yeah. the week. Okay, you still got housing, you still got editing, you still got film, you, they're using film at that point, so they have to, the, 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 to, uh, to to uh to 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 fill the to was it was it to, to process the film right yeah 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 like, I, I think I think what Ray did because he did say that he his wife his kids and the cast what and that's fine. there there's was only like eight, there's only like ten people yeah yeah but they were living at that ranch house they rented it for three months so I'm wondering if that's what he meant by the six hundred dollars okay. was that was that went to the ranch but I I yeah I find it hard to believe because. Yeah, he could have probably have gotten what's called short ends to shoot this film on. Short ends, for those of you who don't know, is basically leftover unused film from bigger films. Right. What they would do is they would give those back to the lab, and then the lab would sell those to somebody else for like a like a like a fraction of the price. But even with that said, his shooting ratio on this movie would have to be one to one, which for those of you who don't know what that is, that means one take per shot. So That's every shot you see hard. in here would have to be one take, and that is outrageously low. But here's the other thing why I don't believe it is because on the Radian Steckler Blu-ray box set from Severn Films, in the extra features, there is, I think, about 10 minutes of outtake footage from this movie that they found and there is one outtake footage where they let the camera roll and you see like ray walking in front of the camera and showing his actors what he wants them to do and it goes on for a full five minutes and i'm like thinking to myself man if you're shooting on short ends you should not be letting that run for a full five minutes because you you're know wasting film film. Pro- yeah. yeah you're wasting film <laughs> so i don't quite believe he shot this movie completely for for 500 or 600 bucks i think that was what it started out as because in yeah. the credits 
for the Trooper version, because the credits in the Bloodjack version are also different. The credits in the Trooper version, where he keeps his real name, you know, directed by Ray Dennis Deckler. Not Wolfgang? <laughs> not, yeah, not Wolfgang. Uh, he has listed as the executive producers Henry Hank Cartwright and Gene Cartwright, the two guys that kind of dragged Ray into the whole hardcore film scene at that time. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if those guys stepped in and eventually threw in a couple of so, extra dollars at some point along the way. I, I'm, I'm, that, that's a very good question. A very you know, unfortunately, he's not here to you know. To well, answer and, and that. the and the other problem is. I, I wonder why in the blood check version, I think I know why, is why would he call himself Wolfgang Schmidt in that every edit? Well, it, it, <laughs> and he it, does it, call himself Wolfgang Schmidt in Hollywood Strangler meets a Skid Row slasher. So I think perhaps maybe Ray didn't think his name was worthy of any of the movies. That he was or, or, or he was trying to get around some sort of tax break, maybe. <laughs> um, maybe. It's hard to say. The, the, thing, the thing is, yeah. if, he, if he's being pulled into the... Uh, more darker underworld of Hollywood slash, like let's say the pornographic. Uh, yeah, but then area. I- no, no. Hear, hear me out. Hear me out. Um, you know, it, it's his way of trying to cover himself, maybe just a little bit, um, because he's gone also by cash flag. He's also gone by like a million different other like uh, screen things. I'm not. I'm not saying that it's, it's bad, good, otherwise. I'm like, I don't question the man because honestly, he was trying to do trying to make the best out of the situation uh you know yeah but then you know hollywood strangler movies the skid row slasher and the blood check reader aren't really pornographic movies i no, think no, no, i'm not saying they but, are but I, but I think you know what though i i think i mentioned it later on but I, now i remember ray used to claim in interviews like one of the reasons why he left hollywood he said he told this story about he and his buddy Ron Haydock. They they did this thing to see if their films were worth anything. So right. they took a couple of their films in, in the film cans and left it outside of a bus stop. And wait. And, oh and, yeah, and nobody stole, nobody stole it. <laughs> and nobody stole it. And then he turned to Ron after an hour or whatever. They came back and the, no one took him. He turned to Ron and said, "See, Ron, nobody wants no, our shit. No, nobody, nobody wants our shit." So you know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah. That, that was it. Oh, so that, that was the interview with uh, his, his, his his ex-wife, who apparently they were were on very good terms. Yeah, they well they yeah they were very good terms even after the divorce. But right. I mean, like during this period, though, it was kind of a turbulent time. Mm-hmm. Carolyn Brandt said that she was trying to make it as an actress in race films as well as outside of race films. It wasn't really happening, and then she was also she had managed to get into NABET, the film union, as a script supervisor and makeup effects. Uh, assistant and then by the time ray decided to move out to las vegas to pursue this television pilot that was presented to him she reluctantly went with him and it turned out it wasn't really a very good decision but the other thing though is that um the relationship between him and ron haydock too had had uh, kind of deteriorated as well a little bit um i don't know if you remember this in the interview but there was a point where he ray said that he and ron got into an argument about something during the making of this movie and then everything was over and done with they they kind of made up but then ron was very depressed and he said what's wrong ron he goes i don't know man it I don't think anybody wants the films. I don't think anybody wants anything to do with me. And then Ray said to his wife, telling his telling his wife this story, said he said to him, 
Ron, stop. I have hawked my house. I have, right, you know, my car, my children. My car. Basically, he, said, yeah. he said, I'm very close to selling my kids to slavery to get this thing made. <laughs> and, I believe in you. Shut the fuck up. Basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I, I always got the impression when he told that story that out of the, you know, out of the two dudes between Ray and Ron, I always felt that Ray had more looked up to Ron a lot more than the other way around, almost like a, like a lost brother type. And so, I mean, you get, cause you know, he spoke, he spoke very highly of Ron saying, so, you know, Ron was a very talented guy. He could sing, he could, he could, he could act fairly well. He was a writer. He wrote all these things, but you know, he just didn't quite make it. And, you know, it was one of those guys that just didn't really, you know, hit it off. So, so, but it, it's, but it's interesting too. When you watch the Trooper or the Blood Shack, you you absolutely feel like this movie is like like the beginning of the end of like the fun era of the '60s films. Because you know the '60s movies that he, that Ray did were, always had this weird fun factor to them that you can kind of admire. And now here we are in the gritty '70s, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> where where things aren't quite as well. I mean, look where they're making this movie out out at in, in Pahrumpf, Nevada. <laughs> in some ranch next to a dilapidated shack that has a horrible mattress that half the cast sits on. <laughs> if you remember. Right, right, right. So uh, anyway, so, okay. Uh, we're not really going to go too deep in this movie because there's really not a lot to go into it. But so the trooper, a, AKA blood shack, whichever version you want to watch um, basically takes place in the, des- the desert and we're introduced to Daniel who's this ranch hand that uh, is keeping an eye on this uh, property and you know basically trying to make sure people don't go anywhere near the blood shack <laughs> and right. not doing a very good job of it actually well, 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 and, and he's shirtless <laughs> we should probably, he's shirtless yeah yeah I think it was either Joe Bob Briggs or somebody else said that his only talents in this movie are leaning on his shovel without wearing a shirt uh, looking aimlessly out in the desert uh, and then throwing old bottles into a rusty uh, tin can. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like that's all his job is is this to keep an eye on this completely worthless ranch that has nothing of value. <laughs> but uh, and then there's a moment where um, um, this woman, for some bizarre reason, decides to come to the blood shack to stay there as a dare of some sorts with these two guys who eventually leave her behind because they think her idea is stupid. Right. And I, by the way, they're speaking for the audience that sits for this movie too, because that is a stupid idea. Why would you want to go live, hang out in the, in the shack where, where supposedly people are being killed at. <laughs> and uh, so Daniel tries to stop her. She says, no, I'll pay you. He says, no, I don't want your money. And uh, do you ever notice the best thing about the dialogue in this movie is everybody yells at each other? <laughs> yes, that, that's true. Yeah. They, here's the, even Carolyn Brent in her voiceover is like, oh, Tim, he is just, you know, he's just so, uh, you know, he wants my ranch. I don't know why, you know? Yeah, she's Daniel, really- yeah. yeah, go on. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's the only one that speaks in a low, sultry tone while everybody else is like just yelling at each other. <laughs> you know, Daniel's saying, The trooper's going to get you. Don't go in there. Don't go in that blood yeah. shack. You know, and, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, 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 and then, you know, the, the, the girl, Connie, played by Laurel Spring, 
um, she's saying to him, you know, no way, man, I'm going to go in there. I don't care if it gets me. I'm not afraid of it. <laughs> so, yeah, of course, yeah. she goes in the flesh. And she's the first one to die in the film. It was, it was Connie Springs? Or... No, no, her name, her character name is Connie, and her she's played by one-and-done actress Laurel Spring. However, oh, real, she, real she quick, never acted ever, ever since then? Nope. However, oh, wow. however, it, she does show up in the theatrical re-release trailer for the thrill killers when it was re-released as the maniacs are loose and she shows up in that trailer as a it doesn't that trailer doesn't show any footage from the thrill killers it just shows like images of the of the re-release poster with a narration on it but it does show color footage of laurel spring wearing that same um dark black and dark red striped shirt she wore in 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 the trooper getting attacked by someone with a knife (laughs) 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 so they had ray probably shot that footage around the same time as he shot the trooper for that trailer so anyways yeah this is a one and done movie for her and i love how (laughs) i love how (laughs) When she goes in the shack, there's nothing there. It's falling apart and everything. But the one thing that's in that house is what, Tim? A, a bed and yeah, a, that's about a, a soiled mattress, and that's about it. Yeah, and then what does she decide to do? Oh, 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 oh well, roll her sleeping bag and sleep in her, you know, panties and bra. Yeah, as but, we all do. Yeah, you know? but at one point she sits on the mattress. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> kind, you know, of, kind of disgusting, kind of weird. But okay. I know this is like a no budget movie, but I would have been like, just uh, don't sit on that mattress, man. <laughs> right? Oh, oh no, no, I, I totally agree. But you know, here's the thing: is we've already committed to the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, within the first five minutes. Yes, and then of course, so so Connie is sitting there, and you know there's sounds of the wind, and, there, and there's of course the harrowing music, and then she hears like things rustling outside, and she's she thinks it's Daniel, and then suddenly Tim, what comes out of the darkness? Oh, the chopper, the chopper, the chopper, the chopper, the chopper. Blood and, shack, whatever. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the chopper is chasing her, uh, the, chasing her around now. Talk about weird. It's supposed to be an ancient evil Indian god, and yet the trooper, as we discover, is a dude. Some dude in a black mask and a black jumpsuit. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's the same plush jumpsuit worn by Herb Robbins in the second episode of the Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Green Grasshopper and the Vampire Lady from Outer Space, which, Mm -hmm. according according to Ray, he claimed that the idea of the trooper came from that wardrobe because on that film, even though you don't hear him say it, mm-hmm. they were running around saying choop, 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 choop. And, and of course Ray claimed that, okay, my next movie is going to be called the trooper. That's bu- <laughs> honestly, I'm calling bullshit on that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think he kind of, I think he kind of embellished on that. I, I, I'm calling BS. Yeah. I, I, as much as I, I dig his stuff and I understand what he's trying to do. I call BS. <laughs> so anyways, it, it's some dude dressed in that plush trooper outfit thing. Uh, oh, by the way, brandishing a sword. I didn't know Indian spirit right, gods so, carried swords. So, and, and here's the thing. is If you wa- listen to the, uh, the, uh, 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 I'm sorry, the, um, oh my God. Uh, 
You listen to the the um the uh, Joe Bob Briggs commentary. The, the 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 commentary. Sorry, the commentary. That's what I'm trying to. The commentary. You realize that it's supposed to be a machete, but it's not a machete. It's a fucking sword. Yeah, it's a fucking sword, like out of some kind of like El so, Chipo King Arthur right. thing. Right. <laughs> so here's the thing: as I'm thinking machete, like out of Friday the Thirteenth, whatever it is, blah blah blah. No, nope. it's like, it's like a broadsword from like King Arthur. <laughs> Yep, and then of course the trooper decides to chop up uh, uh, Connie by, by, by basically cutting her throat. We do get a, a little bit of blood, but not it's not, not a whole yeah. lot. Yeah, and, and if you listen to Joe Bob, if you've listened to his uh, um, sorry, uh, 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 Cash Flag slash whatever his name is, I'm uh, losing his Ray, mind. Uh, Ray Dennis Steckler. Yeah, yeah, Ray yeah. Dennis Steckler's commentary. Cash Flag. Ray Dennis Steckler. Ray Des Steckler, sorry. He wasn't a big fan of slashers per se in his heyday. So they were like commenting on this, like, well, there should have been more blood. And like, well, I wasn't raised more blood. I was more uh, like, uh, you know, the psycho and all this other stuff. Yeah, but that also goes to show you how, with respect to Ray, I understand what he's talking Mm -hmm. about. I mean, it it wasn't his forte. But. But at the same time, that kind of also goes to show that how Ray wasn't paying attention to the market during mm-hmm. the period of the 70s, because this was when a lot of things were changing. And, and as I, you know, even from the late 60s, I had a living dead and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, now in the 70s and then eventually they're going to have uh, Texas Chainsaw Ma- Massacre. And to be fair, though, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, isn't a, a gory no for movie, it- but it does have the visceral feeling of a gore picture whereas oh for shizzle my nizzle (laughs) or even or even or even you know or even any of herschel gordon lewis's movies the wizard of gore the gore gore girls they were showing like you know chopped heads and all that stuff so i mean had ray paid attention to that even if he didn't like it he probably like i said that's what i meant when i said i think he would have had his own variation of texas chainsaw massacre you know three years before the fact uh, would it have been a better movie probably not would it have topped the toby hooper movie probably not but i mean he probably would have had a more uh saleable drive-in movie for that market and mm-hmm. he just you know gone that road but but ray was ray and he wanted to do it his way and you know that i i guess so uh, i I, re- I respect that however i'm like it could have made so much more money. <laughs> it could, yeah, it could have been, probably, probably. He, but and, here, and here's the thing: he could have been a more of a household name, like yeah. John Larroquette and like Toby Hooper and Steven Spielberg and all those other, you know, characters. I mean, or not Christian characters, but like people that. Uh, could, and he was no, and he was influential. Let's say that's say let's say he's not influential. Influential. Boy, boy, I'm having a hard time with words. My coffee. I'm going to drink more coffee. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> he, he needs, you know, he could have been much bigger than what he was, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, as, as I take have. a sip of coffee. Hold on one second. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways. Um, Influential. So, that's the word. There right, right. <laughs> so after all that whole baloo involving the chooper and the killing Connie, the next day Daniel goes out to the blood shack and of course, sure enough, she finds her dead and his dialogue consists of, no, I warned you. I told you that chooper would get you. So oh my God. <laughs> so, and here's the, here's the thing with that nonsense. I'm like, I thought for sure that it would have been like maybe him talking to himself, maybe, or him talking to uh, not, not so not so much Tim, who oh 
spoilers, he's a killer. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll we'll but, get to that. Yeah, but, but, anyway. but because more, more along the along someone that he gets along with because as he's as he's uh, you know digging the body or, or, or burying the first body that we see, uh, uh, he's like, well, she she can't use the money anymore and. Trooper can't or Chopper can't use the money anymore, so it's all mine, you know. I'm like, so to me that it, it's, yeah, yeah. it feels like they've got some sort of business agreement, you know, they work out, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't. Yeah, it's so confusing. I mean, we'll get to it when we get yeah. a chance. But anyways, so 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 um, Daniel buries uh, Connie's body, and then now now in the Trooper theatrical cut, um, the original cut. Um, we're introduced to Carolyn Brandt. She's standing by the side of the road. She was dropped off, but there by a bus, I guess. And she's narrating her life story about how she was a former Hollywood starlet that got tired of the rat race in, in Hollywood and things weren't working out. So she decided So she gets the news that she inherited this ranch from her father. So she, Daniel picks her up and then drives her over to the ranch. And of course there's this guy named Tim over at the ranch played by Ron Haydock. And it turns out Tim, that's a good solid name. I'm just going to say, Oh yeah. Solid. Yeah. Tim, very creative. Yeah. And we, hey, shut we don't <laughs> we really know too much about what Tim's doing. I mean, it's like he wants to buy, uh, Carol's ranch, but it's like, well, are you in real estate? Are you are are you in land developing? You don't seem like the top. I mean, I mean, you're wearing your pork pie hat and wearing a uh, you know a, well, a, a jacket and a blue sh- blue button down like shirt. You he, look like you should just be a ranch hand he, instead of. <laughs> well, he, he he wants he wants the land because they own the water land underneath. Well, them. yeah, okay. So there's this. <laughs> There's Are we skipping thread. ahead too much? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, we have to explain that because truthfully, it is without question one of the most useless, boring subplots ever in a movie. So as it turns out. Just like real life. <laughs> yeah, Tim, Tim knows that there's an underground well that has like tons of water in it and it's part of the property and he wants it and supposedly the reason why he wants it is because his great grandfather originally owned a percentage of the land and then lost it in a in a game of cards or whatever and didn't get the land back and now supposedly this is like a generational issue with with the tim character but truthfully it's a subplot that's really not needed in this movie, Truth, I mean, it, it really goes nowhere. You never really feel like it ever gets brought up, or when it does get brought up, it's almost like Tim doesn't really know about it <laughs> or tries to play coy in one right. shot about it, but it doesn't really feel like it goes anywhere. <laughs> you know, it, and then, of course, there's... Um, so, uh, there, and, and there's this weird relationship animosity friendship between him and daniel like you know every time tim comes by the ranch and bothers daniel and daniel's annoyed as shit over the whole thing and uh you know and then of course after they're done arguing they're back to being friends again or whatever almost like no relationship correlation whatsoever (laughs) and and oh and then there's a moment where like daniel makes an argument about the about the, the the blood shack, he's saying, you know, that's a historical monument that's been there for a hundred years. And then, you know, Tim said, the only thing you know there is about a hundred years of death. 
and you know and, and of course carolyn's like oh you mean the trooper legend and those yeah and and you know tim is pointing out that people have died in that ranch and it's like well and this is a huge plot problem too because it's like well if people have died on that ranch then why is that ranch still around why why <laughs> and not only that but how long have people been dying in that ranch like how recent I mean, yeah, we know right. about the girl that Connie that's been killed, but it's like, have there been recent deaths and disappearances? Where are the police? Where, where, where what's going? Why isn't Daniel being singled out as like the culprit? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> it's so, like it's because later on there's a scene where the the quote unquote local constable shows up and talks to Carolyn and says, you know, yeah, we looking for two kids that two teenagers that disappeared and the last place that people think they might have saw them at was at the ranch over here and it's like yeah. okay well do you know about the the blood shack legend and he's and and and, and he knows about the blood shack legend but it's like <laughs> it's so muddled and confusing it really like just yeah. throws everything off <laughs> It's almost like they, in as much as I, I enjoy Ray's improvisational methods, this is the one where I, I do wish that he would have stuck to the script for. <laughs> Not that there was much of a script to stick with at the beginning, but yeah, I, I totally understand. <laughs> so, oh, and then there's a moment later on where uh, Connie's boyfriend shows up, this nondescript character, and he's like, yeah, I... Um, I'm looking for my girlfriend. She came out here. And then, of course, Daniel says, I haven't seen her. And he goes, well, how about I check out that old shack over there? Maybe she's hiding over there. And he's like saying, stay away from there. The trooper's going to get you. Oh, I'm just going to go check anyway. I stay away, man. Stay away. The trooper's going to get you. Well, I'm, I'm just going to go check it out. <laughs> it's like, dude, what is going on here? <laughs> Nobody in this movie can communicate. <laughs> yeah, it, it's bananas. Oh. And then, and then, of course, the guy gets killed. Oh, and what's great about that, too, is he gets killed in the daytime. So we get to see the trooper run right behind him and yell, ah, and chase right. him. Right. It, it looks like a uh, half-assed ninja. <laughs> that scene, actually, that scene would have worked a lot better had what Ray would have done is if he would have constantly turned the camera over and like let the side of the house be obliterated a little more and then suddenly have the trooper run in and you can be like what happened did the trooper attack him you know well, it, it, but up <laughs> to that point the trooper was actually kind of cool or the chopper the trooper <laughs> the, the chopper, chopper. <laughs> uh because e even when he was attacking the uh the, the 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 i guess the deputy the sheriff whatever it was that yeah, came yeah, out yeah. there uh and you know it, but it just seems so at that point it just seems so like ugh really this is where we're going i'm well, like do you remember when he killed the sheriff okay so okay so even though we kind of spoiled who the, who the trooper is in the movie obviously it's, it's not dan it's not dan okay but but okay so the movie is supposed to have this weird supernatural aspect to it about you know the indian shaman god even though as the movie slowly progresses you kind of begin to figure out that yeah, there really isn't a supernatural curse on this thing as much as everybody claims it is. When he kills the kills the sheriff, what the trooper then decides to do is hop into the sheriff's car, throw the body in the car, and drive the car away. <laughs> and when you watch it, you're almost thinking, "Oh, so the trooper has a driver's license?" <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Convenient for a 150 year old, you know, Indian you know, spirit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like he must've had a lot of time to bone up on his car driving abilities, but still, you said, uh, you said bone. <laughs> yeah, I did. 
But anyway, so yeah, and, and then there's a couple of sequences. Actually, these sequences are pretty decent. Where well, there's one sequence where Carolyn uh, goes out to look at the ranch at night, and she's sort of entranced by it and everything. And she walks up there, and it turns out Daniel scares her half to death, and then says, "No, no, you can't be out here. You need to go. You need to go back into the house." And you know, and then You're not allowed on the porch. You're right, gonna right. get killed. I, yeah, the chupa is going to get you. The chupa and the chopper, the chupa, the chopper, the, chupa. the, the, the bloodshed. Come on, the chupa is going to hit the chopper now, now. Do it now. No. It's the not Puma. <laughs> so that. much more entertaining. So much more entertaining. <laughs> I know. Believe it or not, the title, the chupa, is ten times more entertaining than the actual movie itself. So I mean. I, I'm still gonna say Bloodshack's a better title for a fucking movie than the two blue well, Oh, and and surprisingly enough, in the um, the outtake footage on the Radiant Steckler Blu-ray box set, the camera slates, you know, the slate that you put in front of it and you hit the board, and, and then you say, you know, take one. Mm-hmm. It's not. It, it, Ray didn't call it the Trooper. He called it Blood Monster. Oh, seriously, a fourth title? We need a third or fourth title? Yeah, but I mean, I find it odd how he says he's calling it the Chooper, but then on this camera slates, he puts Blood Monster on it. And then, <laughs> so I I mean, I like Ray, but occasionally I do feel, he, I do feel he, he kind of believed his own PR a little too right. much. <laughs> but anyways, so... Um, Okay, so we should get to the to the thrilling conclusion of the seventy minute or fifty five minute ver- movie, whichever version you want to sit through. Um, uh, Tubi, if you want to, be, or if you want, if you want the fifty five or you know hour minute or hour uh, movie, check out Tubi because that's where it's at. <laughs> yeah, and then maybe YouTube for the cheaper version. I don't know, but anyways, um, so Daniel's hanging around the blood shack. And then suddenly the trooper attacks him. And then we cut to Carolyn inside the kitchen of the ranch house and she drops a plate and she's startled. And then. Oh, oh, oh. and also the, the time when she's taking a shower, that is also a use switch from another film of. Uh, yes, it's from a movie called uh, Body Fever. Yes, Body Fever, where they. Uh... The, uh, in the interview with uh, CC, uh, is it CC? Or how do you pronounce her name? Was it CC? Uh yeah it it was Carolyn Branch she didn't Carolyn play Brandt. yeah she was so, in a so movie Carol- called okay no Carolyn Brandt no no so they're interviewing Carolyn Brandt on the DVD extra of Bloodshack and she's like oh yeah we used that the those extended or, the, or those uh deleted footage from another movie like you were saying yeah mm-hmm. yeah it was so, from a movie that Ray was making at that time called Body Fever in 1969 was, was Body Fever ever released or was that something it that- kind of sort of was Ray. Ray said it had a couple of screenings and then he pulled the screenings because he, he at one point it played with another movie uh, a bigger budgeted film double featured with it and then he said I he, he basically said um, you know I can't play this with this other movie because okay. it, this other movie is okay. too good so so but it did it but I have seen it it's not a bad little movie it's at, okay. it's like his tribute to like crime movies and whatnot so okay. so, um, so basically uh, you're saying that they uh, n- they used every bit of footage ever, you know, for any kind of movie because that's what they did. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like nothing went right. to waste. <laughs> uh, so then, anyway, so um, so she goes outside and she eventually gets attacked by the trooper. And then, of course, as it turns out, the, the trooper is Tim. He's dressed up to to play the Indian 
spirit that's supposed to be killing people here. And uh, Daniel, who's got stabbed to the gut, and you made a comment about this, Tim, before we recorded, about okay. your opinion about the how he sh- technically shouldn't be moving around even though he's been stabbed right. into the gut. Right. Well, well, because here's the thing. If, you st- if you're stabbed in the gut, if you're shot in the shoulder, you know, w- when you're raising your head, your, your, your arms above your head, if you're doing anything like major, you're um, a lot of blood loss is happening. I'm like, I get crawling on your hands and knees. I get crawling. But he, he, he full on fought this guy for another minute and a half, two minutes. Like, right. And then, of course, Carolyn grabs the Daniel's trusty shovel that he's yeah. been carrying around throughout this entire fucking movie, which is which is much more believable, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he, and she gives good old Tim a good whacking over the side of the head on the and, noggin on, yep, the, and, on and the meat Daniel, and potatoes. <laughs> and then Daniel grabs the, the shovel. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, grabs the sword and stabs him. And then as he's, and then as Daniel's slowly dying, he says, that's not the trooper. That was just Tim playing the role of the trooper, but there, there is a trooper and the trooper will get anybody that's hanging around the house. And then he dies. And yeah. I, I call bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's, yeah. the end of the movie. and that's a confusing thing too. So like you said earlier, so is, was Tim and Daniel like doing this whole charade about the trooper to keep people away from the house? And, and cause you gotta, think, cause you gotta think about it. If not, Tim would have to like hang around this house 24 seven watching it, making sure that nobody comes by. And if anybody does come by, he would have to kill them. Cause yeah. can you imagine if he didn't, he didn't stay there to kill somebody and someone stayed at the house, you know, as a dare for a whole night and they survived and you're like, yeah, what's this trooper nonsense? Well, <laughs> unless that was Daniel's per se. It's like, okay, okay. We, Hey, you know, so-and-so, hey, here, I'm here, you know, that that's how I make, would make a two-way radio, like Daniel talking to Tim, like, hey, yo, we got some knucklehead trying to, you know, horn in on this uh, thing right now, go kill him, I'll, you know, and I'll take care of it, like, it, it would seem like they, they would have a much more, like, tag team kind of partnership, basically. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like it. No, in fact, it does it, yeah, yeah, it just doesn't. And it, it would actually have been so much better for this movie, too, had it at the end of the movie, it turned out there really was a real trooper. And, you know, Tim decided to just disguise himself like that. So that way he can, he, like, he can, like, try to scare Carolyn off the ranch. And then he ends up killing Daniel. And then at the end of the movie, Daniel's dead and Tim is dead. And then she's going to sell the property. But then she would decide to go back to check the oh. blood back just one more time. And it turns out she would get killed. That would have been a better conclusion. You're, you're, you know? you're talking more along the lines of midnight meat train then yeah <laughs> yeah yeah which, yeah, which yeah. Are, or, or any episode of a twilight zone tv honestly, series now uh chris you've watched midnight meat train right with uh, oh yeah we did we did we, we talked we, about that with we, mark we, on the yeah I, I you know here's the thing is after all these years everything kind of blends together after a while i like i yeah. forget but midnight meat train is a fantastic movie by the way the, the twist sells it by the way <laughs> Uh, but yeah, go on. <laughs> so, but of course it ends with, well, I think it ends in the, um, the theatrical, the trooper version. I think this was cut out mm-hmm. of the blood Shack version is that it ends with, uh, Carolyn saying that Tim is dead and Daniel's dead. And now she's stuck with a ranch and, right. and she's and, trying, and she's trying to figure out what she's going to do. But she says in the narration, well, I gotta I'll worry the- about I'll worry about that tomorrow. Oh, if I just make it tonight. And that's how, and th- th- it just ends. I'm like, 
So I, I, I'm on my elliptical. <laughs> no, 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 Chris, literally, I'm on my elliptical at like four o'clock or four thirty in the morning, and I'm watching this movie like all the way through for 55, 60 minutes. I'm like, and now it's six o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what the fuck? That's it? Like literally, that's how you're gonna end the goddamn movie? Like, what the hell? I'm like, okay, I need, I need a little more closure than that. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh my like, god. Holy Dennis shit. Ray, my boy. Holy Big shit. Dog. Ray. Come on, yeah. handsome. Come well, on. Well, I know, you know, and I would say, Ray, I understand it's your desire to want to make a movie, but come on. <laughs> this is not a okay. If you're gonna do one and done, you need to have more closure. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's all I have about to say about the, the trooper bloodjack. I mean, I will give it credit. It's decently edited and shot, so it's not like it's, it's a it's complete not, it's, amateur it's, hour no, movie. It's, it's, it, so here's the thing. It's not horrible, but the ending, it's like it's almost like a climax without a climax. I'm like, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm waiting I'm I'm waiting to let go and I'm like I can't because it just stops. It just stops. <laughs> I'm like Hello, you still got your bra on. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, it just stops. So I don't, I don't know if I have anything more else to say about this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, sure Night Timmer and in agreement that this is a thumbs down movie. Yeah, I, I want to say a thumbs in the middle, thumbs down. But I want to give it a thumbs up, but they didn't give me anything to give it a thumbs up for. You know? Yeah, so, yeah. So I, I'm gonna, say, I'm gonna say thumbs down. I'm so like, that's about it with the the the, the trooper and blood shack. So the chopper, I mean, the chopper, the chopper, yeah, the blood so, shack. Yeah, yeah. I here's the thing, Chris. I love the name blood shack. Blood it just needed a better movie to it, go. It, with it. No, <laughs> because honestly, the trooper. When you see C H O O O P E R. You say trooper, chopper, whatever it is. But you say blood shack, you know exactly what you're getting. Oh, it rolls off the tongue. It, it, it rolls off the tongue, and it's easy to 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 promote to uh to 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 what, what yeah it's easy to promote. I'm like the trooper, the chopper, the you know whatever. I'm like I honestly I think it would be better if they went with blood shack and they would just made it more simplistic. And I know yes, it came out before uh uh uh, uh, uh what was it um. A movie. Um, shoot, you just said it. Uh, shit, Texas Chainsaw. Uh, te- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I love the original one. How simplistic it was, and with John Larroquette's, you know, you know, voiceover in the very beginning, it was freaking fantastic. And this could have been their calling card. However, yeah. it was not. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a shame. Yeah, because I could honestly see Blood Shack and Texas Chainsaw Massacre at some point being like a double build feature somewhere. Yeah, well, I could see I could see Blood Shack playing on the bottom portion of the double. Oh, of feature. course, oh, 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 of course, of course, they're they're definitely gonna be the the the, the warm up. They're definitely gonna be if you're watching a wrestling match, you're that that's called the curtain jerker match. That's called the yeah. you know the intro. You know that is what's. But but here's the thing: is it it could have been on that same stage, and it wasn't. It was just. But it is uh, yeah. being discussed by two guys from the Midwest. <laughs> you know, well, forty years later. <laughs> yeah, so a possibility. Isn't it? And unfortunately, it's forty years too late. So <laughs> forty years too late. Uh, you're in Chicago. I'm in Minnesota. We've got you know about twelve inches of snow. You've got you know rain and whatever the hell you guys got. I don't even yeah. know anymore. Hi. <laughs> <sighs> All right. 
So for Chris King, I'm Tim Kaza. Thank you for listening to THSP this month. We'll hope you'll join us again next month. Good night, everyone. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, oh, whoa, Tim. Whoa, whoa, Hold whoa, on. What? Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. We're, we're, we're not done oh, yet. Really? Okay. <laughs> no, we're not. Because now, well, I will. You don't have to necessarily participate. But, Fine. It's just our podcast. Uh, <laughs> I know. Well, with what I'm going to be talking about, you're probably going to be happy you didn't participate. But As um, most, as in with most things. <laughs> yeah, but um, we're going to be talking just a or I'll be talking just a little bit about Ray's dissension into... Um, uh, hardcore. Porn. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, uh, and let me say, folks, that this part is definitely going to be, uh, as the kiddies like to say this days, these days, uh, NSFW. So, you know, if you don't want to, if you want to cover your virgin ears, folks, you know, this is the part where you stop. But uh, if you want to <laughs> hear me blather on a hysterical, well, at least I think hysterical uh, takes on some of his um hardcore horrors and by all means listen in and of course tim can sit in the sidelines and ask questions if he i'm feels used like to it, it. <laughs> <laughs> if he feels like it so all right so let me just get ready here okay so <clears throat> the 1970s would become a, a cr- rather creative low point of sorts for ray dennis steckler's movie career his attempts to make it in hollywood never came to be as various projects would come and go. Steckler would also lose his friend Ron Haydock in 1977. Ron's depression would take a heavy toll on him, and Steckler tried to help, but Haydock would have none of it. And, while hitchhiking down an exit ramp off Route 66 towards the direction of Los Angeles, an 18-wheeler struck Ron on Friday the 13th of August of 1977. Adding to it, while Ray and his wife Carolyn Brandt would continue to work together behind the scenes on various varying assignments they would separate and eventually divorce in 1980 and then there was steckler's deep dive into that squishy genre known as hardcore <sighs> in today's yeah, mod- baby <laughs> in today's modern era hardcore porn has become about as mainstream as standard hollywood product don't believe me uh, just ask Steven Spielberg's daughter, Michaela Spielberg, about it and get back to me. And like how Hollywood has the Oscars, Hardcore has the AV and Adult Video News Awards. Back during porn's holocon days of 8mm loops and feature-length movies, the industry continues to change more than mainstream Hollywood, especially in today's era of 2023, what with AI deepfake porn and OnlyFans subscribers. But unlike today's rather on-the-surface blasé nature of hardcore, there was a time when it was considered daring, trendy, and in certain cases borderline illegal. And that era was the 1970s or the early 70s, a time when mainstream Hollywood was in a constant battle over the independence regarding the showing of sex and violence on the screen. And while that battle was going on between big-budget and low-budget groups, further off on the sidelines is what would eventually become the adult film industry. And that was where Ray Dennis Steckler would spend most of his career from the 1970s up until the mid-1980s. To be fair about it, whatever your opinions are of the hardcore film industry, there have been a few established individuals that have either dabbled in the industry or utilized the -the behind-the-scenes technical end to move up the ladder towards bigger and better things. Again, doubt me? 
Okay, how about Sean S. Cunningham and Wes Craven? Cunningham was cutting his teeth as a nameless producer in some minor hardcore productions, while Craven served as either a film editor and sound synchronizer on those types of movies as well. Of course, it took a little film called The Last House on the Left to bring Cunningham and Craven out of the world of Porto. However, Wes would take a brief detour and direct his one and only hardcore title, The Fireworks Woman in 1975. Herschel Gordon Lewis, the godfather of gore himself, was no stranger to hardcore. He served as an uncredited producer on a film called Black Love in 1972, which was primarily directed by a fellow named R.L. Smith, an African-American who owned a successful chain of Baskin-Robbins ice cream parlors. Then there's Stu Siegel, a successful TV producer who helped jumpstart such TV shows like Hunter and Silk Stockings, as well as loan out his TV and film production studio for training military personnel as strategic operations. But before that, Stu started out in, yep, you guessed it, as a producer and director of hardcore movies in the late 70s and early 80s. Even the softcore exploitation filmmakers would turn their hand to hardcore. Producer David F. Friedman specialized in standard T&A affairs and would make a brief detour to the hard stuff in the late 70s and early 80s, and then call it a day because it wasn't fun anymore. While Doris Wishman reluctantly made two hardcore efforts in the 70s when she realized that full-color nudie movies and black-and-white ruffies were out of date. So take a deep look at Ray Dennis Steckler's filmography, and you'll find just a handful of movies that he's proud of. Yet you'll also find a laundry list of hardcore titles that Ray would rather you not give a shit about. Indeed, Steckler claimed that he had nothing to do with hardcore, and if pressed on the issue in interviews, Ray would pretty much do the whole interview over announcement and walk away, making it quite clear that no matter how many times he would be asked about the subject, Ray wouldn't fess up to it, and even when clear-cut evidence suggested he was involved. In a way, Steckler was slightly truthful about having nothing to do with the hardcore stuff in terms of being uninterested in the subject matter, and it shows in the work. Yet, at the same time, his fingerprints remain on them in various ways. Occasional posters and lobby cards for the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed-up zombies might be seen on a wall while some couple is banging away. Or the fact that Carolyn Brandt would appear as either a non-hardcore character on screen under the alias of Jane Bond, or serve as a background narrator, or the fact that Steckler's early porn credit is Sven Christian, which was the name he used on his attempt at making a soft X sexploitation art film combo, Cynthia the Devil's Doll, back in 1969. By contrast, porno potentates like, say, Gerald Damiano attempted to make hardcore films like The Devil and Miss Jones and the, the Story of Joanna with a degree of professional cinematography and attempt at proper story construction, decent art direction, and yes, even worthwhile acting whereas Ray's hardcore productions are filmed with a cold indifference to the bumping and grinding that occurs on screen. And good old Ray cranked them out without a thought of the product being anything above gutter smut. His heart just wasn't in them. But why did he spend the majority of the 70s and early to mid-1980s toiling in the fields of hardcore when it was a genre that didn't interest him? It's easy to say it was all about the money, and even though Steckler himself would say in various interviews over the years that a filmmaker shouldn't just make a film to only make money, which provides an interesting contradiction to his own character when looking at his contributions to the hardcore productions, and yet a theory or two can be laid out that it wasn't all about the money per se. In one aspect, Steckler most likely turned to hardcore as an attempt at a personal career preservation, 
Ray wanted to make movies, no matter what. And by the late 60s and early 70s, Steckler's attempt at trying to make it in the mainstream just wasn't happening, no matter the direction he went with his earlier work. Steckler once related an interesting story in an interview. He recalled one day he and his buddy Ron Haydock put a few boxes of film prints of the movies they made together on a street corner to see if anybody would steal them. No one did. (laughs) And for Ray, that proved nobody wanted his movies. Adding to it, there was a point when Steckler just wasn't getting much work as a union cameraman on mainstream film and television productions, and he had a family to feed. Yet at the same time, Steckler wasn't going to throw away his dreams and desires to work at a grocery store full-time, and after the decade that was the failed TV, po- TV pilot that came apart in Las Vegas, uh, Steckler gave Hollywood up and wanted to stay put in Las Vegas. But there was no consistent film production going on in Vegas at the time, except the porn work which was being shot on the sly due to its illegal nature. And once when Steckler made the acquaintance of Henry, Hank Cartwright, and Gene Cartwright, whom, as I mentioned earlier, were attempting to make hardcore a viable business industry for themselves at the time, that's when the steady porn work began for Ray. But why did Steckler spend years denying his involvement in hardcore? Well, it's possible Ray just flat out didn't want anyone to know about it, possibly out of embarrassment towards both the public and his family. Another is that As stated earlier, it was illegal to make hardcore, despite there being a plethora of hardcore adult theaters in various parts of the United States, as well as the underground porn productions occurring in both California and New York. How and how did film sleuths detect Ray's involvement in these adult movies when he never brought attention to them in interviews? Well, that's the easy answer. The home video market and, as stated earlier, the fact that Steckler himself left varying clues for cult film fans to piece together, especially when one could consider that Ray probably thought no one would even remember his hardcore work or even his non-pornographic work to make any connections whatsoever. Just a filmmaker living in obscurity, not really knowing if cult fandom would come his way. But cult fandom of sorts would eventually come down the line for Ray. So, what does a Ray Dennis Deckler hardcore joint look like in contrast to a, a, a porno made by those who were far more dedicated to the genre? Well, there's an old saying, if the picture is in focus and the sound is in sync, then it's a movie. In good old Ray's case, it's the other way around. The 60mm color photography is gritty and grimy. Uh, The cinematography is almost near haphazardly amateurish with various shaky camera adjustments and out-of-focus zoom-ins and zoom-outs. And the sound is so rough you'd think the boom operator aimed the microphone away from the performers whenever (laughs) whenever any dialogue occurs. And then there's the cast themselves. It's almost as if Steckler picked up his hardcore thespians off the street, for they have the look of dirty-footed hippie trippies drenched in patchouli oil and desperately in need of a shower and shave. Even by porn standards, real people fucking can sometimes be too real. Contrast that with, say, Gerald Damiano's The Devil and Miss Jones, featuring porno thesps like Georgina Spelvin and Harry Reams, performers that could easily do dialogue and fuck at the same time in the drop of a hat without skipping a beat. Steckler's hapless humpers look as if they were corralled in some flea pit basement to get it on, sometimes even breaking character or stumble bumble fucking up a line midway through a scene and possibly hoping to get out as soon as possible. Indeed, 
A Steckler porno is so poorly conceived and badly executed that it could serve as a credence to the critics who make the claims of Ray having no talent at all. But again, to be made clear, Steckler's heart just wasn't in these projects. It was just manufactured product grounded out for the adult theater audience that, in Ray's mind, probably wouldn't care one way or another if the porn was made on any level of you know, quality control or wouldn't have cared if Sven Christian, quote-unquote, was trying to reinvent the pornographic wheel. But Steckler cranked out porno almost by the palette in interesting ways that would almost become, dare I say it, a science, allowing him to get into a near-perfect hardcore groove. While Steckler would make a hardcore feature from, by, from scratch, there were other times when Ray would cobble together a porno using leftover footage from another production and stitch it together with another film. Catherine Steckler would become Ray's second wife after the divorce from Carolyn Brandt, met her future husband in a film class that Ray was teaching, and she wanted to learn how to edit negative film. Steckler obliged, warning her that the footage was of adult nature, but Catherine didn't care. According to Catherine, at one point Ray was hired by a producer to take a bunch of hardcore footage shot by someone else and allowed Steckler to shoot or add unrelated footage to create a feature-length film and utilize the fake screen names of like Matt Miller or Cindy Lou Sutters to, as a director credit. Because of the crazy quilt nature of Ray's assemblage of hardcore and unrelated material, it's almost borderline difficult to pinpoint his hardcore era of when the production started and when they were finished in editing and even when they were released. The mind boggles, but when the smoke cleared, it's obvious that Ray Dennis Steckler survived the pornographic trenches and managed to keep the table set. So with all that out of the way, you might be wondering why I am bringing up Ray Dennis Steckler's hardcore era on this show. Well, that's because I... And I alone will be tackling none other than Ray's hardcore horror films. Yep, it's a, it's a bit of a challenge because who in God's name would even attempt to review these so-called movies on the show? But I decided to take a crack at it, and well, hopefully you'll find the reviews entertaining. Tim will be sitting on the sidelines and listen, and maybe he'll have a question or two, or none. But yes, consider this. I have reviewed these movies so that you don't have to sit through them. And if you don't, and if you do want to see them, make sure to have your whole have a holy cross and a garlic to protect you. Believe me, I regret not having those with me. And fair warning, these reviews are NSFW. So if you're listening to this part in your office cubicle or out in public, I suggest you get those ear pods on to keep this dirty part to yourselves. So give me just a second. Okay, so first up. The Mad Love Life of a Hot Vampire. Well, this was the first attempt by Ray Dennis Steckler, or sorry, I meant Sven Christian, to, con to combine everybody's favorite genres, horror and hardcore. Okay, tastes will differ for sure, but Ray gave it the old college try, or should I say a rather indifferent push. But if you are willing to check out any of Ray's homegrown Las Vegas porn, I'd say start with this one and end it there if you want. It's got all the trademarks of Steckler's early adult work that I mentioned previous. I mean, sets that look like they were filmed in some makeshift studio in a basement? Check. Gritty 60mm cinematography that it is lazy and, un and uninterestingly shot, featuring enough out-of-focus slow zoom-in and zoom-out shots to to give you and to give to make you wonder if your own eyesight is deteriorating check a story so thin it could it could have been written on the back of a ten dollar bill that ray handed to one of his hapless thespians for their pay check and yes porn so unerotic and so mind-numbingly droll that it just goes on and on and 
on and on and on, played by a young cast of unkept hippies and derelicts, probably desperate for weed money or worse. Double check. Yes, this truly is a horror movie, but not in the way you imagine your normal horror movie to be like. This is unadulterated porno dreck cranked out by a filmmaker who hated <laughs> the product and waited till the check cleared. Yes, the mad love life of a hot vampire is bad. It's garbage. And it played on a thousand projectors in any porn theater willing to screen it. So, the film begins with a credit that reads, a film by Sven Christian, and titles that look as if they were scribbled on the chalkboard. Okay, so far so bad, but so what? Oh, don't worry, folks, it gets better, or does it get worse? My money, and hopefully your money, is betting on the latter. So after the really El Cheapo title sequence, not even worthy of your own home movies, we are introduced to a pale-faced woman dressed in a black shawl as being Elena, the wife of Dracula, played by Jane Bond. Whoa, 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 hold on a minute. That Jane Bond is none other than Carolyn Brandt. And yes, Miss Brandt is here to serve as the narrator via a series of sporadic cutaways to explain what the hell is going on here. So with that said, Elena introduces this film as a story about what happened to her hubby, Count Dracula. Via flashback, we are then introduced to Count Dracula, who has no vampire fangs, by the way, and his hunchback assistant. The hunchback is credited to a Rock Heinrich, but it's really Horace Dwayne King, who played Daniel in The Chooper. And Count Dracula is played by the goofy Jim Parker, who was also known as Jim the Vegas Vampire Parker, and had established himself in Sin City as a local TV horror host for the Double Shock Theater Show. By the way, you can find some clips of the Vegas Vampire Show on YouTube, one of which features a young Fred Willard playing a character alongside Parker. Uh, how Parker who would have been noticed due to his local celebrity presence, ended up in this movie for Steckler is a fucking mystery. However, it needs to be said that Parker does not exude the charms of Bela Lugosi or Christopher Lee. Unfortunately, Parker does not participate in any of the hardcore shenanigans. At any rate, Count Dracula approaches his three female vampiric brides, all fully dressed, I might add, and he proceeds to feel up each girl's breasts and suck their blood. All the while, the hunchback assistant cackles away with giddy delight. And speaking of giddy delight, Jim Parker and the three girls manage to break character not once, not twice, but many times. When Parker is feeling their breasts, the girls occasionally giggle as opposed to looking like stone-faced zombies. And Parker even takes a glance or two directly at the camera. Elena's response to this so-called farce, Dracula decides to make love, not war. Oh, how topical. <laughs> and then Dracula retorts, we must all come forward and indulge in the beautiful things of making love. Enjoy yourselves, my fiends. The three girls take off, take, take their clothes off and engage in an all-out orgy. The hunchback gets his half a chub sucked on and pr proceeds to make goofy facial expressions while the other two gals have a box lunch. After that, Mayhem Count Dracula, <laughs> send, Count Dracula sends out his three gals, each carrying a thin glass vial, to go out and collect some blood for him. In the meantime, a swarthy dude named Bill and his showgirl-looking girlfriend Janet Brewster, and why does she have a last name in this movie is beyond me, have their non-hardcore makeout session on the couch interrupted when a pudgy southern fried professor von helsing shows up the professor is played by will long and that's apparently his real name 
Long was a former acrobat turned actor and talent agent out in Las Vegas, and he would appear in a few Steckler pornos, even going as far as performing some hardcore in them. Back to the um, story. Bill tells the professor that his sister, Carmille, was killed in a car accident, but her body disappeared from the morgue. Van Helsing believes Carmille's body has been abducted by none other than Count Dracula himself, and that the evil Count is using bodies of dead girls to bring them back to life to do his bidding. Yeah, I know. We've heard this story before. But Van Helsing is right. You heard it one time, you heard a thousand, Chris. No shit, yeah. (laughs) But Van Helsing is right, for we see two of his girls engaging in an act of coitus with their male victims, and thus we get a plethora of blowjobs and cunnilingus and penetration that just goes on forever! And finally, we get to that, we get to what probably caused porno patrons to run out of the theater in droves. The vampire girls proceed to take a bite out of their conquest willies and collect the blood. Yikes, Steckler, what on earth were you thinking? Back at Bill's place, his girlfriend Janet is about to sit on the toilet when she is attacked by the third vampire woman, who, it, who as it turns out, is the sister Carmille. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. I know. Bill and Van Helsing save Janet and hold Carmille hostage, demanding for her to take them to Count Dracula's lair. Once when Dracula receives his blood from the two vampire girls, Bill and Van Helsing arrive and they get into a hilariously unchoreographed scuffle of bad punching and flailing about. Count Dracula gets away, but the joke's on him. The sun has come out and the Count dissolves into nothing, leaving behind his cape and the hunchback gives the finger to the sun out of anger. It, it then cuts to a title card reading the end question mark. And then it cuts to Carolyn Brandt, who threatens the audience that, quote, I swear revenge on my husband's death. Professor Van Helsing shall pay and pay pay dearly. I will suck the lifeblood from him and from all other mortal men and then use their blood to bring my master, my husband, back to life again. And he will walk this earth again. I, Elena, wife of Count Dracula, do swear it, unquote. The end. Ugh. Thin, thin, thin. <laughs> no, it's not an art film, Tim. <laughs> All right. So you think that one's beyond terrible? Well, I got a. Well, you haven't heard anything yet, folks. Here's another good one for you. I bet you'll love this title. Count All Come, aka the Horny Vampire. Hey, fans, let me ask you a question. <laughs> Do you think horror, comedy, and porn? Is, is this was- for real? This is for real. This so sounds me, like a Mark L. Risman, like, uh, you know, something he <laughs> cranked out in like 30 minutes, like probably for in his fun. Dream. Probably in his dreams. Yeah. But, but anyways, let me ask you all a question, fans. Do you think horror, comedy, and porno would go well together? Yes! Well, if you, well, if you do, then this movie may really not be for you. Because with the main exception of the lead character, none of the humor really works. And the horror is minimal. And the explicit sex is mundane. In other words, it's another right in a Steckler porn production of disastrous proportions. But some of it is dreadfully amusing in a train wreck sort of way. Count Alcum opens sans any title <laughs> credits of any kind. It just begins in some hidden cave that you can clearly hear the sound of an airplane or two flying around in the background. So much for a clandestine location. Anyways, the film opens in, an, in a hidden cave and on the ground is a coffin in which a vamp, which has a vampire in it, played by an uncredited Jerry Deloney. A little interesting side note about Deloney. He was a stage actor that would appear in a few sexploitation productions like Ilsa Harem Keeper of the Oil Sheiks in 1976, as well as a supporting actor playing non-hardcore roles in porno. But 
he would eventually score a memorable part as none other than the UFO conspiracy theorist character in Richard Linklater's Slacker from 1990. But Count Alcum wouldn't be his only porno rodeo with Ray Dennis Deckler, for Deloney would receive brief fellatio from a chick under a tape under a desk in the opening of Dr. Cocklove. I also wonder if <laughs> I know. I also wonder if Richard Linklater ever knew about or asked Deloney about his Ray Dennis Deckler connection. Okay, so all that aside, the vampire makes one hell of an opening in this mini-epic. He wakes up and proceeds to jack off his fully erect boner. After that magic act, Count Alcum rises from his coffin and turns to look towards the camera as it serves as the POV for a young couple who somehow managed to wander into the secret cave. The couple mistaken the vampire as being Count Dracula, but it turns out Dracula is his uncle. No, the vampire we see here is Count Alcum, which... If you say the name Alcum, then I'm sure you get the joke. Whatever. Anyways, Count I, I don't get nef- it. I don't get it. Oh, no, okay. Any, well, anyways, say it slower. Uh, Count, <laughs> yes. uh, Count Alcum is the nephew of Count Dracula, and Alcum has a little bit of a problem. You see, he just can't seem to get a woman, and we see what Poor he means. Guy. And we see what he means by a flashback when Alcum exits the local blood bank of Las Vegas, to which the Count annoyingly exclaims, I don't know why they say I'm overdrawn. He sees a woman walk past him and decides to follow her. Oh, excuse me. Did I say follow? I meant to say Count Alcum hops and prances after her as if he was auditioning the silly walk sketch act from Monty Python's Flying Circus. And as we all know, John Cleese got the part. Uh, And just when he's about to make his move, The woman enters her home, and the Count lunges towards the door, only to get his fangs caught in the door. Oh, I forgot to mention, this entire flashback takes place in broad fucking daylight. I'll let that sink in for just a moment. Uh, What? Once that flashback is out of the way, Count Alcum asks his guests for help in how he can seduce a woman. He is then given a book entitled A Thousand and One Ways to Seduce a Woman, and it feels it will serve him well. And thus he says... The couple is free to leave. And so the Count decides to give the book a try, and he heads out into the dark night in Las Vegas and attempts to pick up a woman. But he is thwarted by his uncle, Count Dracula. As Dracula leaves with his captive girl, Alcum hitches a ride on the ambulance and follows Dracula. Alcum arrives at the house to find Dracula and the girl getting it on. As per the requirements of a hardcore effort, we see Drac eating pussy and getting his dick sucked. And then Drac hops on top of the gal and they fuck away until they both disappear via a quick jump cut, leaving Alcum all by his lonesome to ponder what he needs to do. Then, cut to bright morning, and we see another young woman park her car near a horse stable to, gee, I don't know, look at a horse, I guess? All the while, Count Alcum is prancing around and trying desperately not to stop, step into the horse shit. Ah, but too late. Count Dracula shows up and serenades the chick, and once again, Drac gets his willy sucked, and they bang away ad nauseum. But once Drac is done and disappears, and the girl's got her clothes back on, she takes a look under, the, under her car hood to see if her engine is running, and she heads back into her car, and Count Alcum is running towards her, and, 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 he falls into her engine, and the hood slams on his back. Then, at night, Count Alcum watches a young couple making out in their car, but when the young man reveals himself to be Count Dracula, the young woman screams and runs out of the car. Count Alcum decides to chase after her, but once she enters her house and slams the door, Alcum gets his both his fangs stuck in the door as well as his rock-hard dick trapped in the door <laughs> keyhole. 
I'm, 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 real quick. This is an actual film, okay? I, I'm not making this up. So, um, the next Are day, you sure? Sure. The next day, Count Malcolm is taking a walk and notices a young woman is about to faint in the street, and he helps the woman to her home. Taking the woman back to her place, she tries to use a holy cross to scare the Count away, but Alcum reveals that he's Jewish! Mind alone! <laughs> the Count then tries to make his move, but he ends up discovering that he can see that she is actually a he, complete with a small penis that can be seen through the woman's nylon panties. Count Alcum is shocked and appalled by this revelation that he proceeds to disappear in disgust. And while some might be offended by this so-called form of transphobia, let's be honest, if you were a dude hunting for some pussy and came across a chick with a dick, I don't think that'll be his thing. Different strokes for different folks, people. But the joke is on Count Alcum, for the woman reveals that she was wearing a dildo in her panties and says, quote, stops those vampires every time, unquote. The end, <laughs> full. All right, and now we are on The Sexorcist Devil. Surprise, surprise, it's a Ray Dennis Deckler porno that doesn't suck. Oh, wait, 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 there's plenty of sucking going on in this here film. What I meant to say is, while The Sexorcist Devil is a terrible movie, compare this to The Mad Love Life of a Hot Vampire and Count Alcum. This outing is well shot and edited, and the story idea is intriguing for about 15 minutes. Don't worry, though, folks. This one still contains the trademark lousy acting, meandering fucking, and a go-nowhere storyline that we've all come to know and love from a Ray Dennis Deckler porn. But it's surprisingly, for a lack of a better word, ambitious. It should be noted that this was one of the films that Steckler shot under the name of Sven Christian. But on the Blu-ray copy present on the um, Severn Films box set, the print is under the re-release title of Undress to Kill with the director credit of Matt Miller. But I don't think anyone in the theater knew the difference. So who really gives a shit? So <clears throat> the Sexorcist Devil begins in a swampy marsh area that used to be home to a cult of devil worshippers. Female reporter Janice Lightning, played by... Yep, you guessed it, Carolyn Brandt, but this time under the screen name of Eva Gallant, follows Professor Ernest von Kleinschmidt, a, quote, sexorcist and doctor of demonology to the swamps. It seems that the professor is looking for evidence of the ancient sex cult, and he doesn't have to look very far, for he and Janice find a small box just lying amongst the reeds that contains an ancient text inside. Of course, the fact that the box looks clean as a whistle without much of a speck of dirt or decay on it gives very little indication that this has been lying out there for many years. But this is a quickie right in a Steckler porno, so no need for these ahem minor details to get in the way. Nevertheless, Von Klenschmite uh, decides to take the ancient parchment back to his place to translate it. Meanwhile, Janice heads back to her place, and we are introduced to her very spacey roommate, Diane Tracy, played by Lily Lamar, who is a prostitute by trade and lives being on, and lives loves being on drugs. Janice watches Diane and her pimp Fritz Granger both swimming in the pool nude, and before you can say triple X throwdown, good old Diane begins sucking on Fritz's Fritz and swallows like the good girl that she is. All the while, Janice watches in a well. Rather zombie-like state, as if this is just another day in the office. I mean, or is that another day in the orifice? Whatever. And in the meantime... I see what you did there. Yes. In the meantime, 
Professor von Kleinschmidt is translating the ancient text, not realizing that the text has summoned up one of Satan's disciples from the swamp, who goes by the name of Volta. In the case, some dude. In this case, some dude dressed in a black robe, no different than your average hippies from the era when this film was made. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Diane and Fritz are in the house getting it on. You know, the usual stuff. You know, Fritz gives Diane's box a good looking. You know, Diane gives Fritz his uncircumcised dick a good suck in and blows his load or whatever. And then, you know, we all know the deal. And then Fritz hops on top of Diane to put his schlinker in her schlunker and, you know, blows his load again. And then, but this time, uh, but anyways, how romantic. All I'm seeing a pattern here. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, all, all, do you think there's a theme, Tim, in this movie? Because I certainly can't see it. I'm, maybe I'm, you... I'm pretty sure it's uh, you know sex. <laughs> yeah, just making sure. Uh, all the while, Steckler call me cuts... crazy. <laughs> I, 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 tr- I trust me, I won't. Uh, all the while, Steckler cuts to random shots of Van Kleinschmidt sitting at his desk with pipe in his mouth, looking all authoritative as he translates the parchment, and then cutting to the. Con- to the conjured Volta slowly walking out of the swamp towards Janice and Diane's apartment. I mean, it's not like anything bad is going to happen here, right? 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 You tell okay. us, Chris. I don't oh, know. I, I, oh, I certainly will. Uh, once all that fucking is over, Fritz reminds Diane that she has a client by the name of Theodore that she that she has to service. So Fritz leaves Leaves his chick all by her lonesome. <laughs> Bad move there, Fritz. For Volta appears to Diane, but she's so spaced out that she sort of mistakes him for Theodore. But while Volta is not Theodore, he wants to get serviced as well, so he forces Diane to suck his drainpipe. Well, I shouldn't say he forces Diane to blow him. Rather, she's pretty much ready, willing, and able to do the job without much prodding. Uh, and she's and, and she receives a sweet little treat for her job. And not to digress for a moment, but this movie is really blowjob heavy, making one wonder if Steckler had a fetish for the photographing women giving head. Or then again, it's just Ray shooting a porno with all the enthusiasm of a bored observer. Anyways, we then get to see Diane do yet another act of sword swallowing on Volta's stiffy, and then we get more, <laughs> then we get more cutaways. I know. It's, it just keeps going and going and going. And then we get more cutaways of Professor von Kleinschmidt reading some demonology books and the various uh, demonic paintings that lines his office. Finally, Volta and Diane uh, change positions, and the evil Satanist is giving Diane a good ramming, and of course, Volta releases, and all the while the soundtrack plays Calypso music in the background. Is and, there a point to all this, Chris? <laughs> uh, I hope so. I'm, I'm trying to get to it. <laughs> I mean, the movie's trying, at least. Uh, after that excitement, Volta gives Diane a special necklace that makes her a slave of Beelzebub, and he sends Diane on her merry way to meet Theodore. And Theodore we do meet, a slightly rotund fellow that likes to complain that his wife (laughs) I swear to god this is the line he complains that his wife won't let him eat pussy pretty much giving the credence to my theory that married couples need to spice up their sex lives (laughs) otherwise otherwise losers like Theodore end up cheating on them (laughs) and so after Theodore gets to gets to have a little snack of course he decides to take a quick shower but the power of satan compels little diane to grab a switchblade and stab theater to death psycho style then after volta compels diane to suck him off again fritz returns home and sends and ends up getting his throat cut by diane a surprisingly effective sequence by the way 
Now, if all this sounds tedious to you, well, you ain't wrong there, folks. And it gets even more tedious when Volta screws Diane wildly, all the while cutting the shots of Janice Lightning driving in her car, Von Kleinschmidt sitting at his desk and saying, evil, evil, as if the audience has never seen a, a devil possession porno before, and the satanic paintings that align the professor's wall. Once Janice returns home, she finds Diane all alone in her room, crying about how she is possessed by... Wait for it. The devil! So Janice saunters over to the kitchen phone and calls the professor to explain the situation with no urgency whatsoever. But the professor is concerned, and he says he'll be over to help. But it's curtains for Janice, and she has her throat cut by Diane. Then it's Diane back to cocksucking Volta again. Seriously, Ray, what's with all the BJ infatuation here, dude? (laughs) After that, the professor shows up with his trusty book on demonology and attempts an exorcism by standing in the middle of the living room and shouting his proclamations. All the while, the possessed Diane is just standing by the poolside and listening. Sadly, Professor von Kleinschmidt is not Jason Miller or Max von Slydow, and his proclamations mean shit when Diane proceeds to stab the professor in the chest with her trusty switchblade. And despite a dying von Kleinschmidt taking the evil necklace off Diane's body, she spits her blood in his face and the professor falls in the pool to his death. Volta then is pleased by what has happened and returns to the swamp. Thin. <laughs> thin. Paper. Thin. Paper yeah. thin. Oh. Less than paper. Oh, yes. All right. We're down to the final one, folks. Hopefully you've made it. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> I know. I can't believe I went through the trouble. Anyways. <laughs> Was it worth it? <laughs> uh, well, to write the funny reviews, yes. <laughs> Are you spent? <laughs> uh, don't worry we're coming to the last one and then i will be spent <laughs> i feel like the cast members of these things have been ride hard and wet <laughs> ridden, ridden hard and put away wet <laughs> yeah pretty much so all right the last one is red heat this hardcore outing displays what will become a particular theme in ray dennis deckler's later adult and non-adult films parallel construction to explain what that means, it's telling a story involving various characters that will eventually come together either at the midway point or at the end of the film. In the case of Red Heat, the so-called characters don't exactly come together. They collide like a Mack truck hitting a bus full of nuns. But I'll give Steckler Ooh, some fun. credit. No, but I'll give Steckler some credit here. Red Heat is almost ambitious in his storytelling, even when it feels like we are watching two movies stitched together as one. And that isn't too far off the mark, for Red Heat is apparently a melange of non-porno flick originally spearheaded by Steckler, which in turn would become a porno by splicing in unrelated bumping and grinding from a previous Steckler porn joint with alternate hardcore footage that may or may not have been shot by Ray. Yeah, the mind boggles and... Red Heat exists, so we just have to deal with it. We may not want to acknowledge the film exists, but it exists, and that is that. So Red Heat opens as being a Cindy Lou Sutter's film, i.e. the alias for this movie was made by Ray Dennis Steckler. And the opening is a montage of phony film credits and footage of Ray's favorite place, Las Vegas. And then we get to hear the narration from none other than Carolyn Brandt, or I mean the narration of Cindy Lou Sutter's herself. Yes, good old Cindy Lou is about to recall a strange incident that happened while she and her trusty cameraman Habib, also known as Herb for some unknown reason, were in Sin City to make an X-rated feature. Yowza! 
But before we get to the real story, <laughs> quote unquote real story here, folks, Miss Sutters introduces us to Nancy Regal and a quote new stud, unquote. Apparently Nancy was married three times previous and none of her husbands could satisfy her. So Nancy has decided to give it the old college try and perform in a porno flick instead. <laughs> the, what we all do new, at one point in our lives. Yeah, I know. <laughs> When you're that frustrated, the new stud proceeds to go down on Nancy while Cindy Lou and Habib shout directions at them off screen. And then Nancy proceeds to give the sudden endless BJ that just goes on for an eternity. Okay, so after all that hullabaloo, we are introduced to the to a nameless young redhead named C- that Cindy Lou dubs Red Heat and her boyfriend. And this is where the real story begins. Red Heat is the character Red Heat is played by local Las Vegas stripper Lovey Goldmind, and her boyfriend is played by Peter Agostino, who would be most well known for playing in two right in a secular straight horror films, The Hollywood's Frankly Meets the Skid Row Slasher and the semi sequel Las Vegas Serial Killer. Goldmine didn't have any acting credits, either past or future, whereas Agostino managed to play a few roles in movies like The Ravager and Help Me, I'm Possessed, both of which were made by Charles Nazette, an o- another oddball Las Vegas-based filmmaker of ill repute. Uh, watching Goldmine and Agostino's footage in this one gives one to believe that this was material for a non-porno production by Seckler at some point, especially when one considers that Neither Goldmine or Agostino take their clothes off to do the nitty-gritty. Well, sorry, Agostino does have to take his shirt off at one point but i i won't be docking any points off of that detail okay anyways um Cindy Lou wants Red Heat to be her next porno star, and she is recommended by a local agent. However, Red Heat has a problem. She's stuck with her cheating boyfriend, whom Big Red catches making out with some blonde on his couch. Once Red Heat catches her asshole boyfriend making out with another woman, Red and the dude get into a scuffle, and he proceeds to give her a few whacks to the face. Sheesh! Pretty rough stuff there, Ray. Sorry, I meant Cindy Lou Sutters. Moving away from the brutality that we've witnessed, Cindy Lou and Habib show us some footage of a couple making out with the usual trimmings of blowjobs and doggy-style penetration. Huzzah, folks! Back to the real story again. Red Heat decides enough is enough, and instead of walking you know, walking off this whole film within a film motif, she decides to whip out a switchblade and stab her cheating asswipe of a boyfriend in the shower, zero-budget psycho-style. Red Heat then leaves her dying boyfriend behind and starts prowling around the streets of Las Vegas at night, and... We then cut to Lake Mead in the daytime, featuring people getting a suntan and swimming in the lake, all the while Cindy Lou informs us that this is added, quote, production value footage. We are introduced to Sherry, a massage parlor girl, who is doing a scene with some nondescript dude, and I have to say, this is probably the only hardcore sequence that is fairly worthwhile for porno and for a Radio Steckler joint. After that, we see Red Heat walking around Las Vegas, as well as footage of some fellow with a bright blue helmet and a yellow visor riding his motorcycle around the area. The motorcyclist arrives at the office of the female talent agent responsible for providing the on-screen performers for Cindy Lou's film, and he decides to rob the agent. Then we are shown Red Heat hitching a ride with a guy named Roberto, who drives an orange Porsche and is a photographer. Apparently, Roberto met Red Heat sometime back, and he decides to take her back to his place to get some photos of her, and maybe, just maybe, some action of his own. But, just when Roberto is about to make his move, good old Red slices Roberto's throat open. 
Then we see our mysterious motorcycle man again scoping out another victim, which just happens to be cameraman Habib. The motorcyclist drives by Habib and snatches the cinematographer's wallet when not looking. Meanwhile, Cindy Lou shutters shows us some footage of our previous starlet Nancy. Nancy doing some girl-on-girl action, and then Habib decides to let one of the girls blow him while photographing the scene via his POV. Then, Red Heat hitches a ride with some bloke wearing a 10-gallon hat, and they stop at some area under a bridge, and as they are passionately kissing, Red stabs the poor man in the stomach. Cut two. We see two unattractive broads making out, and then some hulking, dim-witted man enters to have his way with the both of them. Once again, making it quite clear... Cindy Lou Sutters has a porno flick to shoot, damn it. After that, it's another throwaway shot of Red Heat shacked up in her no-tell motel, putting lipstick on while looking in the mirror, while a still photo of Bella Lugosi as Dracula is pinned to the wall next to the mirror. That No joke there, folks. <laughs> then, once again, Cindy Lou calls upon Nancy to do another scene, this time with Habib as he's the man, as he mans the camera while Nancy is sucking on his flagpole. Then... At another no-tell motel, the thieving motorcyclist breaks into a room in which a pimp named Big John is fucking and sucking his favorite gal, Sally, and the motorcyclist grabs Big John's wallet. No, I meant his wallet, not the other wallet, okay? After that, Cindy Lou decides she wants to get in on the action, and she jumps in the sack with the performer, Candy, and some guy while Habib yells direction off camera. Man... It's also very tedious and so horribly uninteresting, but it does have an ending, so here it is. Red Heat finally hitches a ride with the mysterious motorcyclist, and you think at first they'll fall in love with each other, right? Wrong! As the motorcyclist and Red Heat drive down the road, some weirdo drinking a bottle of Cuddy Stark drives his van and, run, and runs through a stop sign. The motorcyclist and Red Heat crash into the van and both are killed instantly. And, despite Cindy Lou Sutter's narrating the whole shebang, she does pose an interesting question as the camera focuses on a no-outlet signpost. Quote, I still wonder to this day whether Red would have made a good porn star. Unquote. The... And are, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, that is, I I assure you, folks, that is the end. Wow, wow. I know. <laughs> How wow. underwhelming! <laughs> I know. So wait, wait, in the movie <laughs> and an episode, I want to say. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Any questions, Tim? I'm sure you don't have any, but. <laughs> I I I really I really 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 don't. Yeah, it's all very self-explanatory. But I, you know, consider this part a bonus for any of you out there who are willing to, you know, go past. Some may consider a bonus. A bonus. Some may figure that we've just veered off a cliff and dive right into a big old fiery pond of shit. I thought that too when I watched these, but then you know. Oh uh, yeah, they're. I mean, you know, they they are indeed pretty terrible. I mean, even for their standards. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 Chris, they are. Chris, 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 tell me you don't own these. You, you don't own these, do you? They're part. They are part of the box set, surprisingly. But but I didn't. That's that so choice. sad. I, I it is, but I didn't choose them to be in there. <laughs> so and, you and, can and the fact that it's a part of a 
a boxed set. <laughs> yeah, I know the the jokes on the uh, jokes on me, folks. No, I mean, but I didn't choose to add those in there. That I mean, well, I didn't choose to add them in the box set. Severn Films did that. So if you want to, you know, display your angry letters to them, go ahead. But they don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I I just wonder. I mean, it's so funny. They're so. I came across a review of one of these, and one of the reviewers, real quick, made a point saying they play it like anti porn. Like they're not in, like <laughs> as, as like even a viewer, you're like not interested in it because Ray is not interested in it. This will not There's, make you hot. <laughs> this yeah, will not make well, you horny. <laughs> uh, yeah, like Ray just photographs them and edits them like he just didn't care for him and, and then you can sit there and go we well, didn't care for him why'd you why'd you do it but then again you know the old-fashioned saying hey you gotta make a living <laughs> i mean he didn't like I, like I mentioned earlier he didn't want to find himself just working in grocery stores for christ's sake right <laughs> so, but at the same time they are just so ah. I mean uh, it, it, it's yeah. hard to believe they even exist it's like they came from another planet <laughs> Plant Poontang. <laughs> yeah, like the, like the aliens watched, like, you know, quote, one of the good ones and then tried doing it themselves. And then it's like, and no. Failed they, 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 they failed miserably? <laughs> and they failed miserably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you could say the one, if you're, if you're willing to look at one of them, I don't recommend it. But if you're willing to, um, yeah, they are like massive train wrecks. It, it, it's amazing. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to go with a big even, fat no. <laughs> I know, yeah. But I mean, like, even for those standards, it's like, yeah. you know, zero effort. I mean, with, but then again, I will be fair. Surprisingly, the Sexist's Devil and Red Heat are decently shot, but it's like none of it is the, the, the concept is interesting. Like in the case of Red Heat, it's all narrated, by the way, by Carolyn Brandt as Cindy Lou Sutter's quote unquote. And she's and this is a classic like issue of like narration. She's narrating shit that she's never that she's not seen. You know what I'm saying? Like uh-huh. she's narrating about how like Red Heat goes off and kills these dudes. But it's like, how do you know she's killing these guys? <laughs> how do you know she's the suspect? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But then you know the audience that probably was willing to sit through this on some crappy you know adult theater didn't give a shit about the details they were just like come on get to the next part <laughs> but yeah. yeah i mean so uh on a scale of uh thumbs up uh, or dicks up how many dicks do you give up <laughs> oh this is a this is a this is a total flaccid tim come on <laughs> no i mean these and the, i again to be fair the, the, the my my reviews are jokey right but, right but, but truthfully these movies were not made to be reviewed. <laughs> I mean, you know. and yet somehow you reviewed them. <laughs> yeah, well, or, or or somebody else will. You know what I'm right, saying? I mean, right. there, there. I mean, it's funny. I was actually, I, I occasionally go on Letterbox.com once in a while, yep. and I was looking up Ray's filmography on there, and there are some reviews for his, you know, porn, for his for his hardcore stuff, and there are. And, and surprisingly, there are some people on there that are that are like amused by them, and they give them like three stars. And I'm like, uh, really? That's generous. <laughs> it's like that's a little too generous, man. I mean, how can you? I mean, yeah, I reviewed them, but how can you review them? <laughs> and, Look, and, I know and, I reviewed and, them, but how could you do that? 
<laughs> yeah, but like, how, like, like some of them are like, you know, like saying, like, I, I forget the one quote. One of them said something like, "It's, it's Ray's look at like, um, like Ray's personal like with Red Heat." One of them said something like, "It was like, you know, the way how." He portrays Cindy Lou Sutter's and Habib in the background, shouting out narration as being like possibly Ray's personal, uh, con- you know, condemnation of the porn industry. That's possible, but you know, I mean, come on, that's also a stretch. That, that, yeah, yeah, I was, I was just going to say that, 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 that is a, Ray, you're really stretching for something Ray, here. Ray probably said to himself, "I got to find a way to make this amusing." Okay, let's just have the the the, the producer, the director, the producer, and the camera when they shout out you know direction off screen to the to the performers on screen just have them say stupid shit you know i mean it's it's an interesting theory but it's, it's i don't think it, i mean again a stretch yeah very much <laughs> but, so yeah so yeah uh, i mean it, but, but yeah i mean that's you know again that, that this was a little bonus you know consider this a gift to our loyal fans out there who have managed to listen to our episodes, whether or not you like this gift is one thing, but this was just a freebie. You know, I had, I had some free time on my hands <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and I, and I promise you part three of our Regina Seckler retrospective will contain no porn. So there you go. <laughs> All right. So w- w- with, with that being said, it's a great segue, Chris, what can we expect for part three of our Regina Seckler retrospective? Well, we're going to be tackling uh, the Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row Slasher. The Las Vegas Serial Killer, and his final film, One More Time. And hopefully you will get more enjoyment out of that than this last segment of this episode. All right. So, uh, hopefully. So, Christopher, we do not um, – I'm sorry. We don't have a mailroom segment this uh, episode. Hopefully we'll have Hopefully we'll have one next episode. So, uh, dear listeners, be sure to tune in uh, for next month for the final uh, – the concluding chapter in this uh, saga of the Ray Dastekler retrospective. Uh, so for Chris, I'm Tim Kaza. Thank you for joining us this month. And uh, have a great night, guys. Thank you for listening to THSPC Season 9.